What the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who exactly. are changed. Yeah. And of yeah. course, this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity so people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal in the old fashion this is uh, let's say fiction it will not happen um, see see uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Sunday, January 30th, 2022. Thank you for joining me. I got a great show planned for you today. We'll be a little shorter than usual, but you know, longer than most as we tend to do, but important topics to talk about nonetheless important articles coming out. And just heads up, when we start today, I'm doing it a little bit on lower resolution in hopes that maybe that'll stave off whatever seems to be happening today. I was on Slow News Day earlier today. Hope you'll check out that show. And uh, who knows what was going on. And it just the entire the computer crashed. Everything shut down. Things wouldn't start. This brand, I mean, on and on and on. I mean, and, and there's zero explanation for it. I've talked to plenty of people, had experts on and on. But just in case, we'll probably see something like that happen today. Technocratic future we're going into, but lower the resolution just in case. And if you're wondering why, that's why. Now, important discussions that we've been having over the process of at least a couple of months in regard to the pandemic of the injected are finally, finally pointed to today in regard to, uh, actually, I meant that as finally as in like specifically pointed to in regard to experts and other independent media, which with great, much larger platforms are now discussing the very same Scotland data, the very same UK data. And I'm glad to see this getting out further because it needs to get recognized in the, the quasi, the people that are out there kind of listening to the mainstream media, but are questioning things, but don't know where to go because they aren't sure if this is fake news. And you know, there's a, that's the majority today. I think we, that's always been the majority. And right now they're beginning to recognize that this is making far too much sense. How exactly can the per 100,000, which is now higher in every category for the vaccinated in Scotland specifically, be now hard to understand when it's the most easily definable metric that you could point to in this regard? It's one per every 100,000 or the metric per one every 100,000 is pretty basic. But now because it's showing higher, they're going, whoa, 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 don't read into that. Let me explain to you how you're supposed to look at this. And that's Ireland we're talking about, but they're all starting to do it now. We're going to show you more experts, more Doctors, scientists speaking out about how this is what you should have always been looking at and how other people are hiding it. More people speaking out about how the CDC is actively keeping information back so we can't check it. You've heard all this before, haven't you? It's now being confirmed by a lot of highly credentialed experts. 
We're also going to talk about reproductivity today and a really shocking grouping of information. You probably, many of you already seen, uh, Ron Johnson with the panel they had, Dr. Dr. Uh, or a, a uh, I'm blanking on his name. I'm going to wait to get to the part before I don't mispronounce it. But a lawyer speaking up in regard to this and plenty of other people whistleblowing about not just the Bayer's information, but what the the uh, um, not alternative, but the same similar comparison tool in the military is also showing the same thing, except they're not talking about it. We have whistleblowers showing this is going on and this is being confirmed at the moment. Now, the data is what this shows, but people will argue maybe there's something else to it. Sure. But then the question should be, why haven't they raised it until whistleblowers pointed it out? There's obviously a massive coordinated effort to keep this stuff under wraps for whatever reason. Sure, you can, I guess, pretend it's for some greater good, but that's pretty self-serving. Right now, we're seeing people hurt. We're seeing the majority of cases and the majority of hospitalizations and deaths in most places. We're seeing the data in the fully injected. Then they go, but, but that makes sense, which doesn't because most of that category is most of the population is injected. Even though in the beginning, they swore none of that would happen because it's going to work. But now it's working and those things are happening, they claim. But then, and they go, but then they point to the per 100,000. They say, no, you don't understand. The risk is higher in these groups that aren't injected. And then over the last so many months, we saw that completely tip on its ear. And now suddenly it's this, and it's in that category too. And they go, oh, no, 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 don't look at it that way. Even though they were just saying that's what we should look at. What I don't understand is how the people out there listening to these people are just going along with it. It's out of fear. It has to be because the logic has left the building at this point. Now, we're also going to get into a couple of other points in this regard that I think is interesting, such as the bribing people with money and in, in different things to get them to get the injection, even though you know they've already said no. So you're coercing them, obviously. But then we realize that we just talked about that poor people, people that are in that position because of the government action are now getting six, seven injections just to get one more $100 gift card. Think about how disgusting that is. And then I'm sure they're keeping track to see just how that goes for them. One more experiment in a litany of experiments. But to start off, of course, we're going to talk about some few positive things and a couple of interesting developments in regard to where Omicron seems to have come from. But the reason I played that opening clip there is I wanted to shout this out right in the beginning. I thought this was really interesting. Somebody just sent this to me, uh, not this, but the book that I'm going to point to here, which is a pretty, it's a reasonably prominent book from, uh, what was it, Cambridge? Or let me look back real quick. It was... Yeah, Cambridge University Press. So it's a reasonably prominent book on transhumanism. Now, you heard Klaus Schwab there. To reiterate for those that might not have heard me briefly talk about this before, he is talking about the fourth industrial revolution. What you're looking at here on the screen is the fourth industrial revolution by Klaus Schwab. Well, the kind of the cover for it on the World Economic Forum website. That's a book he wrote discussing what this is and what it would be, what we need to do and how we can do this and benefit from it and make it better on and on and on. But it's written as this kind of lofty future with what we build. Toward. But here's the interesting part. It was written before we got here. It's discussed a lot before we got here as this lofty future concept. But weirdly enough, now he says we're there. We are in the fourth industrial revolution. Now, that may not shock you. Until you realize that what he says is supposed to happen in that time frame is alarming and what they're still pretending is in our future. So how can it be that these things are supposed to happen in the fourth industrial revolution, such as your biological identity blending with your dig digital identity? And he doesn't just mean hypothetically or, or uh, metaphorically. He's talking about actually using implantables, crossing things over. And that's what he says. That's not my opinion. That's what he says. Implantables. 
brain chips. This is him talking about this stuff before we got to COVID. And this is supposed to be happening in the fourth industrial revolution. You follow? And now he's telling you, you're here now. But stop talking about those things. Isn't that interesting? Why would that be? I thought that was the whole point. It is, though, you see. And if you read about it, you'll see that. Just just in this brief little opening, intelligent robots, genetic editing, self-driving car. Yeah, way down the line, well, this is all happening now. You see, that's what is going on. And in this, he says, the fourth industrial revolution is, however, fundamentally different than things that different situations in, in the past. It is characterized by a range of new technologies that are fusing, not, hype, not metaphorically, actually fusing the physical, digital, and biological worlds. Even challenging ideas about what it means to be human. Now, this is Klaus Schwab. That's him writing that about his own book on the World Economic Forum website. And please read the book if you'd like to be shocked completely and alarmed about where he is pushing you right now. But I wanted to reference this. Another book from Cambridge University Press discussing transhumanism, which, by the way, again, this is what this is about. You can read in, you can read all throughout this, and transhumanism is exactly what we were discussing. That is the fusing of your physical, digital, biological world bodies. That's what that is. So check something out about what this says in this book. This is called Transhumanism from Ancestors to Avatars from Cambridge University Press. And here is a very important part that oddly seems to kind of tie in with what he just seems to have said right there in his own writing. They say here, skin cells can also be turned into sperm. In this way, a single human may soon be able to create its own offspring without a partner. This could eventually lead to a society where relationships, sexual or otherwise, are not functionally necessary to continue the human species. Yeah, just kind of blithely, well, we don't even need you guys anymore. The post-human society will simultaneously be a post-kinship society, a society that perpetuates itself without any, quote, need for the, quote, mutuality of being that Solins argues is the crux of kin relationships everywhere. Of course, this is once we, quote, transcend our bi biology, right? See, these are things that are openly discussed within the transhumanism world. That's exactly what the Fourth Industrial Revolution is about. That's what Klaus Schwab is discussing in his book. And yet we don't talk about those things right now. Why aren't we discussing what that's going to be? Transcending our bio. You know why? Because you don't want that. They know you don't want that. So they're hiding this behind something else. Whether that's COVID, whether that's climate change, whatever you think, I'm not saying I have a crystal ball, but I do know this is what they're driving for. And I do know they're hiding it from you right now. And that's crazy to me, not necessarily because it's written in this book, but because Klaus Schwab is openly telling you that's what will happen in this crazy futuristic fourth industrial revolution that's literally happening right now. So he tells you, as we just played in the opening. So carry that along with you as you realize that Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, and this entire effort is being driven forward under a guise of COVID-19. That we now know, as a matter of fact, is not what we're being told it is. Now, here's another great clip from Corey Morningstar. Now, I, I actually forgot to dig up the one that I just played the other day. Uh, Ivor Cummings shared one where he was in the World Economic Forum headquarters saying the exact same thing. And interesting, interestingly enough, there are people that tried to say that that was fake. Somehow it's not. Here's, and for those people, here's another clip where he says it again. But it's the same point where he's telling you we have influence over these people, presidents. Powerful people, captains of industry, media, institutions. They he's saying, and this is understand this at a time when it's not as relevant as it is now. Looking back, we should recognize when this is still in the COVID nineteen context. But I think I feel like recently more than ever, he's gotten a, a center stage 
it's a, it's very obvious where this is all being driven as they try to limp, link it over to climate change. That's my opinion anyway. Corey Morningstar points out towards a new global governance, toward a new global governance, a corporate coup d'etat, global in scale, long in the making, COVID is pretext. Exactly how I feel about that. Schwab, World Economic Forum, quote, what we are really proud of is the young generation. And you've heard him reference the, uh, what is it, what's it called? The young global leaders of the world many times. And that it's capitalized because that's a group. The young, the young global leaders, they're basically raising leaders that then become presidents and controllers of other, like, doesn't that sound alarming to you? Like they're keep, and you could argue that there's just a influential group that they all are part of sort of like how, which, which you know, you can go back in, in history of like the, you know, Ivy league schools and the clubs they're in and recognize that you can trace back most powerful people to certain groups like that. Now, is that because they're affluent and they ended up in these schools or is it, or is it because they, were they powerful in these positions because they were in those schools? You know, it's hard to say. But I think it's a little bit of both, obviously. So when you have a group of young global leaders where they're basically training these guys and people that grow up and become leaders of countries, that's a really alarming thing to think now looking back on who is driving this bus. Listen to what he says. What we are very proud of now is a young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, president of, of uh, Argentina and so on. He mentioned Trudeau all the time. And Macron is one he mentions as well. So we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, rece- at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau. And I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world. Now, make sure you notice what he was about. Our, our, you're going to say they're our something. Oh, and then he corrected himself and goes, oh, they're young leaders of the world. Oh, isn't that great? So he, he owns them. Apparently they're ours. That was, this is not a slip of the tongue, guys. And whether or not you think that in his mind is that he thinks he owns them or just that he thinks it's part of his circle, you know, whatever. You can always play that game. But that's pretty crazy to realize. And also realize that half of their cabinets are part of this group. That's pretty alarming. It could mean nothing. Sure, that's always possible. But shouldn't we ask these questions when these are massively powerful people at the top of some technocratic hierarchy, unelected, that are currently building your future without your say-so? Yeah, that should really matter. At the very least, it's not illogical to ask that question, even though it's being painted as conspiracy theory like anything else that doesn't line up with what they want you to think. Schwab continues, so yesterday I was at a reception for... Trudeau. And I know that half of this cabinet or even more of this cabinet are actually young global leaders of the world. Here he is, you know, comfortably sitting next to the United Arab Emirates, you know, partner leader of the Great Reset. No joke. If you don't remember that from our previous discussions there, he told that he called them the leading partner of the Great Reset, the United Arab Emirates. You know, the Great Reset that's striving for equity and equality and and freedom, (laughs) right? That's not what they're striving for, but the point's what they're saying while they're working with the very people that don't even do that for their own people. Isn't that great? But they're doing it for you though, right? Trust me, them or whatever. <laughs> anyway, these are this is what they're driving towards, what we opened in the beginning with, what they're discussing. And here he is telling you that we have at the very least strong influence over the people that are talking about Build Back Better. Don't, you have to realize that there's a connection there. Now, <coughs> excuse me, Ugh, caught me out of nowhere. This. I find to be very important. And I feel like it got sort of, it didn't get a lot of traction. So I feel I don't feel like people either didn't agree with it, which is fine, or maybe you just didn't understand what I was meaning here. 
And I think this is important to point out. First of all, here's what somebody somebody said. And I think this is, is ties to what they're trying to build for us, the kind of m- collectivism mindset. Now, an idea collectivism isn't something that's inherently negative, but it, to, to argue that some the the group should always have an interest over the individual, I don't know why anybody think that's acceptable. It should be a little bit of both, right? And it shouldn't be forced in either way. It should be your choice to be part of a society. And if you are part of that society, you should be you should have an interest in making the group better. But you should you should always have a choice whether you want to do one or the other. And your interest should never have to be put aside for the collective group. That's it's it's all about choice, guys. It's always about choice. But today they're driving you in a direction that's about collectivism and removing that choice by the same time. So now you're basically, it's not even collective and it's coercion. You're being driven into, and they're deciding what is in best interest of the group. So it's not even actually collectivism. It's really just, I mean, you, you could use it both ways. Cause I argue the collectivism really would be more about a, not just a top down control, <clears throat> excuse me, but more so about the no, it should be about the group and everything, you know, influencing the direction. But what we're looking at here is a very centralized top-down control that is pretending to do what's best for the group, and you just have to take their word for it, right? That's important to me. Now, this is what Ann Bauer says. I spoke to a uni, a uni of of uh, uh, MN internists this morning. I think that's Minnesota. It's relevant to the point, but I think it's University of Minnesota. We told he told me that we're being encouraged to shift from individual doctor patient relationships to thinking of each patient as a component of a community and treating them so as to improve broader health, public health. I don't know why that's disconcerting to me. Like, I mean, for the same reason, right? We're literally saying that, that we're going to start looking at, so when that doctor is treating you, he's not treating you, he's treating you along with everybody else. And if that collective good outweighs your good, that may not, that may not get, you may not get what you think you deserve. I, that, that's, I mean, look, plenty of people lost in the two party paradigm are going to scream about communism. And it definitely has its traits there. But look, the point is that any government can end up in the same point. Communism is just a buzzword. They want one side of the argument to be yelling. So you get lost in one little part of this. Any government can end up in this. Look, look at where we are now, guys. I mean, we have to realize that we're swimming in this authoritarianism, technocratic authoritarianism right now. And that, I guess we could pretend that came from democracy, but it sure is. I mean, either way, it didn't come from what we pretend is communism. The idea is that any government can have centralized control develop over a very short period of time if you let them do it. In many cases, it just depends on what's happening for the people of the bottom. Wow, that's all going down. At the end of the day, this is about making it about the collective. And we already talk about bioethics, UNESCO, and how they make it explicit that your individual rights and desires are not overshadowed by the collect by the group. That's international law. So when th- we see this, I can't see this anything other than tied to what this is. these people are trying to build because they want this to be the reality. That's everything. You read everything they write and it's all with this collectivism mindset. It's about the group and we, and the, I actually just watched a, a, the movie the other night called The Colony, very strange futuristic movie where that's something they constantly shout at each other. For the many, for the many, for the many. I just find it very interesting that that's being pushed right now, right alongside all this, right? That is a mindset they want you to have. Now, on that note, realizing that this is where they're driving you, I want we. I want us to feel a little bit. Oh wait, I had a comment here. Yeah, I, I want us to feel positive with my point about how obviously we're not buying it. That doesn't mean it's going to stop. Doesn't mean we're even going to win. I believe it's going to stop, and I believe we're winning. But we have to keep going. But it doesn't mean it's a guarantee, right? 
But as I wrote to this point, to what I was saying, collectivism is a fast track to authoritarianism because of how easily it can be abused by those in power. Not that necessarily collectivism is inherently negative, but it says your, your governments know this. We are being driven there now, right? Because if we get put, put into a position where we're putting other people's interests first, and then suddenly they get to dictate what that drive is, well, we're stuck. Now we look like the, 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 the selfish one by not doing what they've already decided. It's, it's, the, it's the vaccine narrative applying to everything. They've decided that's the, quote, right thing to do, and now you don't get to say otherwise. That is what that is, guys. And as this person says, and I just want to add this, I don't know, Ryan, couldn't collectivism be seen as sharing? And this is why I said that. And I just said, well, you could see it that way. But in this situation, the choice is being removed. It's like saying charity is good. Therefore, it's mandatory. It's then no light. It no longer becomes charity, right? It becomes coercion under a guise of charity. It all depends on who is driving the bus. And here we are, right? That is what's going on. Now, point back to what I was saying is that there's a po- the positive is happening around all this, which makes me very happy to see. And we need to keep pushing. Switzerland is now beginning to ease their COVID restrictions. Quote, the time has come, they said. I mean, what I think is so ridiculous is as this is happening, your government's going sprinting in the other direction. Maybe not. I mean, maybe as they give you the illusion of rolling back some things, they're doubling down on more shots. So is Israel, right? That's the focal point. For this, is interesting to see it going other directions in other places. Not necessarily to say that they're all, oh, they're better or they're, you know, that Switzerland's on the right path now. I just simply see, it's, at the very least, it means that their government is aware that they don't have control of the narrative anymore. So they're trying to roll it back. And as Peter Sweden points out, England, scrapping COVID passports, at least for the time being, pausing them really. Denmark, and understand, each one of these places already has infrastructure in place. Therefore, it's not going away. All this is a pause until something else drives it back into the necessary, in, into policy because of whatever they say is necessary. That's not going to go away, that we allow that to happen. So now we have to forever fight off the justification for more passports for more reasons. Green passports, climate change, new variant, whatever. We see it coming. They're already rationalizing in different ways. So now, you know, that's our fault for letting this happen. Now we have to make sure that we do not let it come back. Uh, so I was just, I, was, I don't know why I looked over, but I was reading the chat. It says, I agree, Ryan, I think countrywide truckers protest is the best thing in the world has going. I just, it, we were talking about this today with So Newsday. And I do, I agree. I mean, I think it's a really powerful movement that we really need to lean into, but equally with aggressive skepticism and 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 vigilance i mean guys it's a no-brainer that somebody at some level with what they've already been saying is going to try to make something happen there right they're going to try to do something that's my opinion i have nothing to back that up other than the fact that they're already calling it they're oh they're gonna make january 6th and in canada i mean they're already doing this we i covered it in my last show if you want to check it out so we need to be careful and we need to be very very watchful for anything that might come up and how any way it may be framed Right. Because they're going to, I mean, they're, they don't, they don't even need facts anymore. They never did, but now they've just gone all off the rails. I just, Oh, look, there's a flag. Everyone's like this. That's what we were talking about today. It's just, it's terrible journalism, but as long as it works on the side of the narrative that nobody cares. So just, we have to be careful and also recognize, I mean, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm a little bit skeptical about whatever this group that's leading this, that was on Fox news and they're having these little interviews. And I'm just, I, I don't know what it is about leaders of protest movements, but I've never, I like non-leader protest movements. They're just about everybody collectively there. Whenever there's leaders, it's always co-optable. And I think that's already starting to happen. Just my gut feeling. Anyway, 
point is we should be supporting this. It doesn't have to be about one thing or the other, about the right or the left, or about it just has to be about the fact that we're all fed up with this and we're going to stand here until this stops, right? That's kind of the idea. But as he says, freedom is winning. I agree with that, but we need to maintain it. That's important. I didn't see this before. This is a protest of teenagers. Please note the incredible violence on them. Oh, that's crazy. Look at that. Now, just be clear, no context here. I just happened to look down on this, but this is a person saying it's a protest. Let's just assume, we don't have to assume it's even in the context of COVID, but it's interesting to see the police just beating the hell out of these children. It's like, wow. I we're, We love to, we, our, our whole facade of what we think we are is just out the window these days. It's crazy. But going forward, some interesting points on this. And I, I do actually do think I have a point about the, yeah, about, about a highway blockage you guys are really going to like. And this is in regard to the, uh, Freedom Convoys. Before I get there, though, Austria's constitutional court is also demanding answers from the government to data and facts regarding masks, lockdowns, rules, hospitalizations, deaths and figures and death figures. Now, whether this is just a facade to make it look like something's going on and they're and they're looking into it or they're really actually make trying to figure out what's going on. It's still good to see this happening. What I think is interesting, though, is, you know, if they are actually demanding this and they are actually doing it because they are doing it in an honest way. I mean, this could be the beginning of something very important. Austria's constitutional court can end up going, look at this. You guys have been lying this entire time. You guys should be charged with crimes. I doubt that's going to happen. I mean, I just call me a pessimist. I don't think that that's what's going to go on in the, in the controlled world today, but it's still good to see people calling this stuff out. This is because of you guys. These things are happening because you took a stand, because you believed in yourselves, because you took a stand for what you believe in. And you're now being shown that you were right. And you knew that because the data backed you up, because the peer-reviewed research backed you up, and because we did our due diligence. But on one last point, before we go into that next point, I think it's interesting to see as they're doing this, right? As they're all rolling this back, even as your government pushes this stuff forward, which I think is the point. I love this interesting point she makes. Chicken Tender makes this interesting point. First, I'll read you this, where it says, or this one first, technically, Freckled Liberty says, day 38 of unmasked and unvaxxed. And this is actually an interesting point because- I too know, and this is just completely observ- observatory, or I guess observational. I don't really see anybody or even know of anybody that is, has never gotten an injection, not one, that has, you know, and, and that, that have really struggled here. I, it's interesting to me, or even right now in a mass way, actually, I shouldn't say that. I do know somebody who got sick, but we never confirmed it's just, they just got sick and never went to hospital and never got a test. So you, who knows what it could have been, could have been the flu or pneumonia. But at the end of the day, by and large, most people that I talk to, if they haven't had the injection, they've never gotten sick. And I've been asking people that's just observational, right? That's to be clear. But as she says, day 38 for her life, unmasked, unvaxxed, quote, winter of severe illness and death, still not vaxxed, still not masked, still not ill, still not dead. Now that, you know, doesn't have to mean anything for anybody that's just making a point. But of course, Liz here chimes in with, let's go Darwin. Right. You know, the, the moral ones, the honorable ones, right. Screaming for let's let her die because she doesn't do what I think is right. (laughs) Right. That's disgusting by the way. And she says, how long are you psychos going to hope for a young and healthy person to die from something that they have a 99.95% chance of surviving? How, and how long are you all going to keep pretending you're the good guys? Now let me be clear. Liz doesn't represent every single person that thinks we're wrong. You know, we're, we should be better in the fact that we'll be, we can say that. They'll never point that out, the nuance on the other side, whatever other sides there are, but we will because we're honest, right? That, that includes you guys. So do the same, right? But that's, there are people that think like this. They think Freckled Liberty should be dead already because she didn't do what she was supposed to. And they're cheering it on. There's whole groups out there that are saying we cheer every time one of them die. It's disgusting acting like that's a virtuous thing to do. Now, here's the point. 
Chicken Tender says. And I love this point. Vax and, and the point, remember, she's saying, let's go Darwin, right? She's saying vaccines and Darwinism are conflicting ideologies. You cannot believe that you are alive today because you are the strongest in the gene pool, Darwinism, while simultaneously believing that you need 100 plus injections in order to survive. It is absolutely on point. I love that because that's exactly right, right? So she's an idiot, not chicken tender, the person saying, let's go Darwin while over vaccinating herself with things she doesn't need, right? Because you clearly don't even understand what you're saying. She's, she's just pulling out a talking point because she was told Darwin represents these people getting what they deserve or whatever she thinks it means. And I love this. This is, it just shows you not only in most cases, in my opinion, that people are, that are critical thinkers are saying no to this because they are critical thinkers doing their due diligence and realizing that in a general sense, none of this really adds up. But I just thought that was a really great point about where they're coming from and thinking that they're somehow superior in a lot of ways, even though that entire concept is contradictory. But going to this point in regard to how they're trying to stop us from pushing back, I thought this was really interesting to start to do to discuss early in the show today. This is from the 28th. This is two days ago. Highway border blockades banned under new order. This is from Nova Scotia. So think about this. In the midst of this massive thing where there, there's truckers and cars and it's just, it's a protest. You want anybody out there getting into the weeds about how many and whether or not you guys are ridiculous on either side. That's you are completely taken by the two party nonsense. The mainstream media rings a bell and you jump too. look at this new cat toy. Oh, they're lying about this. And that's not true. And Justin Trudeau said this and he's lying. You're being taken advantage of. The story should be that we're the majority, that obviously this is a massive protest and everything that's been discovered since, such as the fact that we have obvious digital access to your, to whatever's on your phone when you just scan through the border. We've talked about all this, but what's interesting to me on that is that what, where does this team to tie back to banning blocking traffic? Where did that come from? Oh, that's right. We've been talking about this before all of this, when these same people were going, yay, Look at that. Why highways have become the center of civil rights protests. Isn't that interesting? Washington Post. Here is Market Watch. Why do protesters block highways? The inconvenience is the point. Stand up for them. Say some activists feel no other way to make them stop. That's 2016. Here's CNN. Same discussion. Black Lives Matter block roads to airports. Yay. Fight for them. Now, interestingly, when it's flipped on the other side, even though, let's be clear, the two-party paradigm is an overt illusion, even though it, does, it doesn't mean that people within that don't still I, associate with it, they exist, but it's an illusion. But now that, quote-unquote, the other side is in this position, well, look at that. Suddenly, Nova Scotia's like, no, it's dangerous, you can't block the roads. And on top of that, they're, they're going a step further and saying, no, you can't even support them. <clears throat> literally saying you can't you go to the area in support of literally the 2022 freedom convoy using the exact name of that group in this legislation banning them now by the way this looks like a new order it doesn't look like a uh, that that is what it is i i forgot i went through that yeah that it's down here it's highlighted it's a state of emergency order this is no law this this is a mandate and why because of the emergency still. Now ask yourself this, how in the world does this even remotely relate to an emergency they claim under COVID-19? This is the point and the problem that we've been yelling is going to continue. If they can just arbitrarily be like, oh, the border and the streets being blocked, use the emergency for COVID, pass the law or the mandate. 
isn't there some kind of guideline for this? Isn't this supposed to at least remotely tie back to COVID-19 under the emergency on which you're using? Yeah, no, it doesn't even matter. The province today, January 28th, issued a directive under the Emergency Management Act prohibiting protesters from blocking Highway 104 near the Nova Scotia, New Brunswick border in a specific location. But I just find it in- incredibly hypocritical for these people to suddenly pass laws about, you know, for protesting when that was something that was like protected during the other side of this. Now it says the directive also applies to people who stop or gather alongside the highway. So they're literally saying you can't even now, what, you're not allowed to stand there? That's pretty interesting. The no, but only if you're doing it in support of them. Go ahead and stand out there if you don't agree with them. You see how perfectly obvious that is? But if you're in support of them, you can't stand on the highway. That's illegal. That's actually what it says. I mean, you read through the lines. The directive applies to people who stop or gather alongside the highway in this area or at the Capitol Pass, an area in support of the 2022 Freedom Convoy. At this area or this hold the line or, and, by the way, the Atlantic hold the line event or others organized to interfere with traffic. Allowing people to gather in those areas would put themselves at others' risk, right? But so it seems to suggest that you can only not do that in support of them. It's not illegal to walk along the side of the road, but apparently it is if you're doing it in support of this freedom convoy. How disgusting is that? And how wildly abuse of power is it? I mean, how, what an obvious abuse of power it is. That's what the emergency acts do. And all this stems back to the beginning in the United States, stems back to the the beginning of it from Donald Trump. And the timing of it's the same. It's March 2020. That's exactly when Trump did it too. It's not an accident that, t- that correlates. Now it says individuals and corporations could be fined for failing to comply with the directive. Individuals or other entities who finance, organize, aid, or encourage blocker the highway could also be fined. So now you can't even financially support them. You can't donate because that would be fine. What, what is it, a terrorist organization? I can't even understand how they think this is even, even from a mandate, even from an order, from an emergency standpoint. How do you think you can dictate what I'm allowed to do financially from somebody who hasn't even broken a law? You understand that they can't frame that, claim that every single person on the road is actively there to block traffic. At the very least, you have to argue the people in the front of it are blocking traffic. Everybody else is in the street. So you're telling me that I can't go and donate on GoFundMe? Otherwise, I could be fined? I don't even understand how that even... For me, like I genuinely am baffled that this is just rampantly lawless. They just don't like what's happening and they're just going to go. You can't support them. You can't stand there. You can't block the road, period. Why? Well, because of a state of emergency that was declared under the Emergency Management Act Management Act on just March 22nd, 2020. Oh, and by the way, it's already been extended until February 6th, 2022, which is coming up. How much you want to bet they extend it again? Based on what? The directive will remain in place for the duration of the provincial state of emergency, it goes on until they decide to stop it. Even though they're all about it anywhere else, right? The inconvenience is the point back in 2016. Interesting. But a couple of things I wanted to point out in the early part of the show that might have gotten buried in the gigantically long show from yesterday. I just want to make sure we didn't miss this for people that might not have seen it because it was a four-hour show yesterday. <clears throat> Important stuff here. And I know that Star's doing a great job on clipping these things up, but it probably, I want to make sure that this gets put back in there early. And this is just from the Wall Street Journal. The high cost of disparaging natural immunity to COVID. And I just want to read this one line. Now, what's interesting, by the way, is it's already now blocked. That's weird, right? <laughs> Not at all. 
No, you got to sign in for this one. It wasn't sign in first. So it's weird. They, they, not everything on these platforms are signed in. Like New York Times, Washington Post. It's obvious when they really want everyone to see it, when it's like something important they want you to think for their narrative. Everyone can see it, except when it's stuff that's, you know, they don't want you to see like this. <laughs> it's just very, very transparent. Read into this and you'll find it very obvious when you can see the part right down here that's already kind of fuzzed out where it says that, you know, the studies from the CDC, according to this Johns Hopkins scientist is telling you or doctor telling you the the CDC found that their natural immunity was three to five times more effective at preventing hospitalization and getting sick in general than in injection. And instead, the CDC framed it dishonestly. Shocking. This is even the Wall Street Journal calling this out, and yet we're still going forward. How do you not see how crazy that is? But after two years of accruing data, the superiority of natural immunity over vaccinated immunity is clear, says the Wall Street Journal. By firing staff with natural immunity, employers got rid of those least likely to infect others. It's time to reinstate those employees with an apology. Look at that. Just wanted to make sure that's in there, guys. You have to see how important this stuff is. Here's some other things I wanted to include. Uh, Stephen, Stephen Gloria, and I talked this on Stolen News Day today. And I just want to—I want to make sure this is uh, an interesting point to put out there. Now, right now, they're hyping up all this fear, you know, and this is the one that we're going to talk about. That's important to see that is not real. Neokov, that they actually found in 2012, and yet everyone, including Zero Hedge, is reporting this as a brand new thing they just discovered. Does anybody do do do, do, do due diligence anymore? I mean, it, it drives me crazy because it's very easy to see. Before that, though. A new strain of Omicron has arrived in Australian shores. Now, we just talked about the stealth version. It's the same kind of report, but they're calling this one the son of Omicron. Check out the interview with Slow News State today. We talked specifically about this, but this is in, let me just play this. It's only two seconds, and we'll make a couple comments on what they're saying here. Coronavirus news tonight. Blake Johnson joins us now. And Blake, a new, more contagious strain of Omicron has arrived in Australia. Now, first, recognize how he just simply states... A more contagious strain has arrived. Now listen to what he says next. Being called the son of Omicron, it is a sub-variant rapidly spreading through Europe. Good news is, so far it doesn't appear to be more dangerous or deadly, but scientists believe it could be harder to track. Ah, okay, wait, so now we're, so wait a minute, it's not more, we don't, it's not more. So why did he open the segment by saying the exact opposite of what you just said? Because one, let's confuse everybody. Two, let's hope they only hear that and run away thinking we're all going to die. And at the end of the day, he left it open. It could be. It definitely could be, which means it could not be two, but they don't like to say that. Think about how ridiculous that is. Now, also recognize he opens it up by saying a strain of Omicron. Wait a minute. Is this a new virus or is this a new variant? Wouldn't that be a variant of this or a sub-variant? Or do they not know what they're talking about? Who cares, right? It's new viruses and new strains and subvariants, and it just becomes danger. We don't care. This is the same thing as having a thousand channels telling you 14 different things. They want you just to sit back and go, ugh, just tell me. What do I need to think? Apathy. It's meant to be this way. I mean, it's the son of Omicron. It's, it's like a movie. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous, especially when you realize that they don't know. That's the point. Here's the report. We don't know anything about this, but we're willing to speculate on things we don't know for 20. That's the report should simply be. We don't know. We don't know anything, Phil, but let's talk about it. Why? Then why are you talking about it? Because they think they might know. And it could find out tomorrow that it might be more dangerous. And maybe tomorrow, maybe might, maybe. 
previous strains because initial reports suggest it can't be picked up by rapid tests. Our federal health department has confirmed a low number of samples have been detected in Australia and say early detection is a testament to the success of Australia's genomic sequencing strategy. Oh, but you mean the sequencing strategy that they've already stopped doing, which we've already proven to you based on the reports? But yeah, who cares about that? They're using S-gene dropout to claim Omicron is there, even though the CDC said very clearly that's not enough to prove it's there. But who cares about all of that? spokesperson says the new variant will continue to be closely monitored. Right. Now, the point is saying it's harder to detect. And in many cases, what do you say again? Through Europe. Good news is, so far, it doesn't appear to be believe it could be harder to track than previous strains because initial reports suggest it can't be picked up by rapid tests. Oh, great. Oh, great. So so what you're saying, in other words, is it's not there. You could You could look at it that way, couldn't you? So these tests aren't picking it up. And all you do is keep digging until you think you find something. Isn't that exactly the problem? Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what the PCR test has been used like in the beginning. Now, also recognize that the reason how they found Omicron, or so they tell you, is that when they see the S gene dropout, which again, both the FDA and the CDC said that it goes either way. That's not indicative. It's a suggestion of Omicron, more likely, but it could go either way. S gene dropout could be happening and it could not, or it could be Omicron. It could go either way. So it's supposed to only go and reported with genomic sequencing, but I've already shown you that Israel, United States, they've all stopped doing it. At least on the reports, you could argue they just stop notating it, which would be ridiculous too. But either way, they're being dishonest. But at the end of the day, recognize that if it's an S gene dropout, that used to be regarded as a negative test. And then suddenly it became positive with Omicron. So it's almost as if they named things that weren't there or a negative test became Omicron. And look at the surge. Now suddenly it's all over the place. Now they're saying it's even harder to detect. And they're saying the test won't even pick it up. So what else is happening here? I mean, are we literally going to start saying that this test says negative, therefore you're sick? Either way, guys, it's wildly subjective, and that's why we're seeing this. They're hyping stuff right now because they're desperate, in my opinion. And this is the this is the MSN and Indian Express telling you, no, we're not faced with a killer neocov virus now, and here's why. News of the emergence of a new type of coronavirus with the potential to kill one out of every three infected people has been circulating. Oh, my God. That's even what Zero Hedge is saying. It's been claimed that this new virus called Neocov was discovered in South Africa among bats. And it could, interesting South Africa, right? Among bats. And it could be possibly entering human cells. The new report's apparently based on a Chinese paper that's yet to be peer reviewed. Oh, you love that, right? Because they, we can't do that, but they do it all day long. However, there's new, little connection between the paper and the inferences that have been drawn in these reports. In fact, one scientist is going, it's blown totally out of proportion. Weird how you're not getting that stuff in the mainstream reports, right? To be clear, a neocov virus does exist, at least that's what they're saying, and it has been found, but it was in 2012. How in the world do you connect that with what the mainstream reports are saying? It says in their study, the Chinese researchers found that molecules that the neocov used to infect the bats were just similar to the ones that you were used in SARS-CoV-2 for infecting humans. That's the finding, but that's all it was. Everything from there forward is extrapolation and narrative by the mainstream media. Here's the study itself. I went over all this in the past show. The bottom line is, here's the title, guys. The media is the one making this what they're telling you it is. They found this in 2012. This is a study done on January 25th, 2022, in regard to just simply looking at close relatives of MERS, COV, and BATS, and ACE2 receptors, and finding what they find. And they found simply that there's a, there's a, it's, there's a, uh, what did they, the word they used here? They found. Where was it? Right here. Uh, oh, right here. That the molecules that Neokov used in the in the bats were similar to the ones used here. That's literally their finding. So why then is the mainstream media and even Zero Head saying they discover a new potentially deadly new strain of coronavirus? 
Now, I'm not trying to harp on Zero Hedge. I'm just trying to point out that people are very quick to post these things all over, mainstream included, even when they have the study right here that literally says the opposite of new strain. Because it's just something, it's, it's going, I mean, I think a lot of us, even on the side of questioning this, are quick to take things at face value that we think go along with what we're saying. As always, we need to be better, myself included. We all do this. We all make mistakes. But the reality is this is not, it's, a, it's something that's not even remotely new. And it's something that's not even remotely shown to be more dangerous. It could be, but so literally could everything else tomorrow. That's what they're saying. Right now, it's not. But tomorrow, one mutation could change everything. That could happen tomorrow. That could happen in a hundred years. So it's crazy for the media and anybody else to come out and go, oh, look at this thing that has no meaning right now. It's not new because there's obvious manipulations going on. Now, one of those obvious manipulations that we've been talking about from the beginning are the idea of things like the CARES Act, or in this case, the Relief Fund, where I think very clearly that the things like the CARES Act specifically that was supposed to go to you know small businesses and other businesses went predominantly, if not entirely, to massive big business, which we all now know out of your pocket, well, all the small businesses went away and they scooped up all of the industry and bought all the land and bought all the farms. And yeah, that all happened. We all know that. Even though we pretend like it's not connected because we're children. I'm kidding. The people that think that are children. But the point is, I think the CARES Act money was used, which clearly was, whether or not that was the intention, which gave them a buffer. All these businesses got massive amounts of payoff under a guise of COVID that gave them a buffer at a time when doing the, what they're doing now, would they knew, at least from the perspective of the politicians, would undermine their business model, right? Why would you kick, why would you turn away business at a time when you're struggling because of government action? Because they paid you and gave you lots of money to make that okay. That's my opinion. At the very least, that ultimately happened because they clearly got this money and they clearly weren't very pressured to keep everything flowing the same way because they were had a buffer. Right. So they turned away unvaccinated people and no masks, and whatever else, fired people that didn't have the injections because they have money. Now we're also looking at the relief fund here. In this article from Stat, exclusive from Stat, the Biden administration used billions in hospital COVID funds to pay drug makers like Pfizer. That this is, and that, by the way, this also happened under Trump, but this is a big deal because this is showing you something that we've been talking about, which is that they don't care about your health. Right. The same reason they don't put money and effort into prophylactic treatment, right, into early treatment. Instead, take aspirin and come back when you're dying so we can give you an injection or pretend to do that. And, you know, whatever their next thing is, ventilators or whatever they would do in that situation, other than keep you safe or try to keep you healthy before it happened. It's the same thing here. Instead of giving this money into places where it can help people, they're just giving it to the injection makers because they claim that is what's helping people. But that's not even true. January 26th, the Biden administration quietly took nearly $7 billion from a fund meant to help hospitals and clinics affected by the pandemic and use it to buy COVID vaccines and therapeutics, according to a document obtained by STAT. Now, don't don't pretend like that means the things that we're talking about, the therapeutics. If it means anything, it means remdesivir. It's the only one they pretend that Biden kills 53% of people in the trial that they used it on. And now they're making that the only one that can be used on children and everybody else Gee, I wonder why you're seeing such a high rate of issue. Then it says the move, <clears throat> and now also take into consideration, by the way, that if they're using that, now the problem is right now, and which is probably a very upsetting problem for them, the majority of the issue in most places we can see hospitalization-wise is in the injected or are is in the injected. We'll get to this in a second, but for instance, here's, you know, Ontario. 
And you can see that more than 50% of people in the ICU are fully injected. All right, that's a problem because that's not what they keep yelling. That 99% they're overwhelmed with injection. Nope, not true. Right? That's a huge part of the narrative that's falling up, already fallen apart. But then, and that, then think about that the people that are going in who aren't injected, and maybe they have something. Maybe they call it COVID-19. Maybe it is. Whatever you think is going on. Then they give them remdesivir. And it has a 53% chance of expediting their death, according to the study from the New England Journal of Medicine. Isn't that interesting that it will be applied in a certain way, right? To people that are coming in for, it's it, you could argue, as we've seen these different specific uses, that it could be used against people that would expedite that situation. Now people, oh, it's conspiracy theory. But we've seen things like this already happen. You could just argue there's a lot of ways these things could be selectively applied. Now, the move is similar to the Trump administration's decision to divert $10 billion from the same fund to Operation Warp Speed. Same point, which stat reported exclusively in March. I do. I like this outlet. I don't agree with everything they say, but, you know, that kind of point is, is necessary. You could have left that out, and this would have been a huge boom. The, the right-leaning me, the right-leaning people would have loved this. But you include that, and suddenly they're going to go, oh, this person secretly hates Trump, and they would not report. You know, that's, that's the problem being lost in the two-party paradigm. Can't talk about the savior Trump, and now vice versa. You can't talk about the savior Biden. The moment you make that bad, you can't go that way. He moved money into into the Operation Warp Speed, which is the impetus for everything. Now they're trying to float, and I'll talk about this in another show. The idea that he secretly actually pushed the vaccine, not because it only because he knew the lockdowns were the worst. Oh, you mean the lockdowns that he allowed to happen? Yeah, the lockdowns that were allowed because of the state of emergency that he initiated. Yeah. They're arguing he only pushed the vaccines because he knew the lockdowns were worse. And that's coming from what exactly? Oh, just hype, just grasping out of nowhere in the air because you want that to be the truth? Could it be? Sure. But don't usually, I mean, you can't just make things up and say, well, that, that lines up. That's probably what happened. And now it's everywhere. Now that's the seeded narrative. And that's why. Because Bannon said, or whatever. It's ridiculous. Absolutely a part of this, whether he knows it or not. Says now the hospital money known as the provider relief fund has run dry. That's great. So now we're in a situation where they're still going, well, we're overwhelmed. We need help. And now they've already used it to pay Pfizer and Moderna and has no new money left to allocate. Guess where, guess where more would come from? Your pocket, as always. According to the agency that administers it, providers have only been able to submit requests for expenses incurred through March 2021. Through March 2021. Think about that. So this is these are obligations. They're supposed to be able to pay these people back and they can't pass March. Before both Delta and Omicron, now, it says with the new $7 billion shift, which has not been previously reported, which is pretty interesting, the division, diversion to drug makers totals nearly $17 billion, or roughly 10% of the overall money that Congress allotted for the fund. 10% of that fund went to just paying drug makers? <laughs> I mean, this is the whole point when they, when they pretend that it's for free. Obviously, it's not if all you do is pretend it's for free and then pull money from somewhere else and pay them. And then it says uh, Congress, and, well, and it says the, a lot of the money specifically for hospitals and physician practices. That's, that's the important, that's what this is supposed to be for. You, by no stretch of the imagination is paying Pfizer to make injections, not vaccines, injections of gene therapy, any way related to hospitals and physician practices. Congress set aside the money to help health care providers pay for pandemic-related expenses, including staffing, personnel, protective equipment. Yeah, staffing because you fired everybody. Person, I mean, it's, it's they've created the situation. 
but says, we quote, we would be deeply troubled and frustrated to find out that billions of dollars have been siphoned off from the fund, especially since no funds have been allocated to the Delta or Omicron surges, says American Hospital Association executive. A spokesperson for the Department of Health and Human Services said using the money to pay drug makers for contracts was a reasonable use of the hospital and clinic funds. Okay. Well, that doesn't, if hospital and clinic funds, why would it be reasonable to pay for drugs? Because the vaccines and therapeutics purchased were given to the providers at no cost. There it is. Exactly. So why would it, it only make sense because we have to do it is what they're saying, <laughs> right? Like that's, it doesn't make sense. Hospital and clinic funds shouldn't be, that is obviously for things that are not specifically about making injections. Historically speaking, this is something that you like the way they frame this, the acting like it's a public service is the only reason this makes sense. In no way was this a public service, especially when you pay them for it. Quote, all provider relief fund dollars have been used for provider relief fund purposes, they say. Like what they're trying to pretend is this wasn't a payment for the injections. We're just we're relieved, giving them relief funds because they're helping us. What do you mean relief funds? They made billions of dollars last year and you're paying them for crying out loud. We are watching them siphon money from your pocket and paying the very people that have already gotten made billions of dollars in profit from what they're doing. However, it says there's no transparency into which contracts the money was used for. That your money was used for. One more ex- aspect of lacking of transparency regarding Pfizer and how your government is working with them hand in hand and where those products were distributed. Yeah, because God forbid you should know where your money is going, right? By August 31st, uh, th- oh, this was government watchdogs reporting clues in regard to where this is going. And it says as of March 1st, $10 billion 2021 had been used to pay drug makers. By August 31st, that number jumped to $14.8 billion. Now ask yourself, between March 1st, 2021 and August 31st, what exactly justified a $4.8 billion, almost $5 billion payday for the drug companies? I don't know of anything that happened right there where they were supposed to give them $5 billion, except maybe the creation and, and, and direction into making an Omicron-specific injection. Except that was after that, right? November. Okay, so just my thought. Is it possible that they were already funding the direction and this is why it was already primed to go the moment Omicron was mentioned, even though we turned it's not more dangerous, so it makes no sense? Obviously, I think this makes sense. But it's just my opinion. I, I Otherwise, tell me why $5 billion changed hands between March and August when these things were already underway for a long time. I think we're seeing the obvious coordination to where this has always been going. Now, here is an interesting point about exactly what they're talking about in regard to the, what I was talking about, excuse me, in regard to early treatment, right? So we're talking about how they're using the money in ways that pay drug makers because that's their, that's the only thing they're focusing on. Nothing matters than getting injections of people's arms. Who cares about vitamin D? Who cares about eating healthy? Who cares about be exercising? Who cares about every other drug that's already shown to be highly efficacious in regard to early treatment or afterward? Who cares about any of that? Just get the injections. And they're pretending like that is logic and honest. It's not. So talking about early treatment and exactly what they're actively hiding from you, you might not have seen that an Omicron-focused study literally just found yet again that ivermectin, quote, showed the best result against Omicron. As I said, how many times can this be openly ignored? Here is the study. January 20th, 2021, 2022. All right, so... 10 days ago, I'm sure the mainstream media just missed this one, insights from a computational analysis on the SARS-CoV-2 Omicron variant, host pathogen, 
interaction, path, uh, pathogenicity, and possible therapeutics. Now, the main point here, you can read through this. There's lots of, there's, I found two really interesting findings that we're going to get into here. But first of all, while ivermectin shows the best result against Omicron. Now, what they're really saying here is that we're talking about the protease inhibitors and they're sim- and this is exactly what we've always been saying, even though the mainstream said that's fake news because they don't know what they're talking about and they just regurgitate what they think they're supposed to know. But it always was work and it's always been shown to have f- efficacy in regard to antiviral and antiparasitic, whether or not it's approved by the FDA. There's been countless studies that have shown that Nobel Prize winning drug and on and on and on. We've shown you all this on previous shows. This is just one more study. Yes, on a preprint that's saying that yet again, they found this, but in specifically in regard to Omicron. And they compared it to the other drugs and different things in regard to protease inhibitors. And they're saying uh, ivermectin, which is not even supposed to be used for that, is working better. Weird. Who would have thought that would happen, right? And thank you to Max Headroom for pointing this out to me. This is where I saw this first. And it is very interesting. Now, here is something else I thought was very relevant. Now, you can, again, I'm going to come back to study in one second, but you can read through it more in depth if you want to just see their breakdown in regard to why. But I don't think we need to at this point because of how many, because it's a preprint at this point. We should wait till, I I shouldn't say it, but in in the context of how they think it's supposed to work, we could wait for it to be peer reviewed, but which probably will never happen. But the reality is there's already multiple peer reviewed studies that say exactly what they think isn't happening, that it does have efficacy against viruses, specifically COVID-19, and does stop the spike protein from coupling and on and on and on. They've already found all this. They just don't like what it says. On top of that, James Lyons Wyler pointed out that he, Facebook literally banned his article because of what he pointed out, how they're playing this game about evidence around ivermectin, acting like non-peer-reviewed articles are fake while all they point to is a letter of people writing things. But it says, so I'm asking you to share this everywhere. And I agree, share this. But he's saying he caught Washington Post using phone calls and non-reviewed letters to editors as, quote, scientific evidence. Now, you can see right here that they say this pre they violates our community standards, and all it says is tag someone who is tired of vaccine injury, denialism, and death, and denialism. This is the level of evidence required for causality for adverse events from ivermectin. The dual standard is infuriating. Now, check it out. Uh, here's the actual article itself right here. And the point is, the Washington Post article quote, online archives where scientists post their research, spark information revolution. And they write about a non-peer reviewed review, a study on ivermectin that was, quote, retracted, they say, by a preprint server. And he points out something which always speaks to the ignorance of the media. Technically, that's an impossible feat, given that preprint servers do not even technically publish studies because the works are not peer reviewed. But putting aside that ignorance of the Washington Post, it says they also throw in a sentence, quote, not to mention contributing contributed to a host of serious side effects among those who ingested ivermectin with no proven benefit against COVID-19. Oh, really? Right. Again, this is how absurd this is. It's absurd. Multiple peer-reviewed studies have found verbatim that it has serious efficacy against COVID-19. It's crazy. It says it for Science Direct was the one that says Nobel Prize winning. I mean, we've talked about these so many times. It's just insulting that they keep pretending like they don't know about it or they are really, really that ridiculous. Since I mentioned it, I just grabbed this one real quick. A multifaceted drug of Nobel Prize honor distinction with indicated efficacy against COVID-19. Are you are we really pretending that they don't know that's there? Like, how stupid is that? That reads as if the study found a host of serious side effects, but the Washington Post article simply linked to a letter to the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. That's it. 
Was this letter a peer-reviewed study as they're pointing to a non-peer-reviewed study that was pulled away that demonstrated causality of an alleged side effects of Washington Post claims the study has contributed to? No, it did not. The letter merely described 21 reports, a 21 reported sets of symptoms following ivermectin based on phone calls to a poison control center. That's it. Talk about, uh, that's not even, that's barely observational evidence. That's secondhand anecdotal evidence. And this is what the Washington Post is pointing to in lieu of a, of a preprint study. I mean, that's pathetic. If that's all they have, this is his point. That is pathetic. And this is what the conclusion has to say in the study. Again, here's what it found. Again, all the promising drugs that target the main protease, which is our point, would also be effective against the variant. However, ivermectin shows the strongest binding affinity over the other protease drugs that they're testing alongside of the ones that they want you to use. They, and they, they do not want you to see this. But this I found interesting to move into the next point. It says here, the study also demonstrated that the highly infectious B1620 strain, which I hadn't heard of until I looked into this, may in fact be the origin of the Omicron variant. And mutations in all major proteins made Omicron also less pathogenic. So we're, we're aware that as much as they keep pretending they don't know, all of the science continues to show that it's not more dangerous, but they'll keep going, but we don't know for sure. Could be, could be deadly. We don't know. <laughs> it's just so stupid. So here we are finding this interesting connection to what this study is saying that it, this demonstrates it's most likely the origin of Omicron. So I looked into it. What is B1620? Well, according to the WHO, as of the most current information, this is the running list of variants and so on. And here's the current designated variants of concern, right? And then here is the currently designated variants of interest, Lambda, Mu. And then here is the currently designated variants of monitoring. <laughs> it just gets more and more ridiculous. Okay. And finally, way down here at the bottom, formally monitored variants from, you know, long time ago. And way down here, B1620, multiple countries from in November 2020, which means that's where it ended, right? Because they they stopped monitoring it, and the last time it was showing up was in multiple countries back in November 2020. Interesting. Okay, so now I'm going, okay, well, that's weird, right? How is it possible that this could be the origin of what's currently everywhere if it didn't, if, it's, if they stopped monitoring it all the way back then because it wasn't going anywhere, right? <clears throat> and realize that they've already traced back plenty of, I mean, it, it doesn't add up, is my point. Interesting. Then... I went forward and looked into what is currently being discussed around that. Now, here is a, a medical uh, life science article talking about emerging variants, B1619 and B1620. That's the one we're talking about. And both of them in South Korea. This was on January 9th of all time, right? And it says, in a recent study published by the CDC, they're discussing that spread and transmission of those two things and the capacity of those to get people sick in South Korea, which I found strange. Over And here's the interesting point. In case you don't know this, over 2 million SARS-CoV-2 genomes have been identified since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, they call it. 2 million. So they tell us anyway, thus demonstrating the virus is super mutational. So as always, I don't believe anything they say at face value because they've been showing themselves to be liars always have. But more than that, just taking it at face value for conversation's sake, if it is that mutational and, ha and it has produced 2 million genomes, I'm asking why in the world, at a time when since, since uh, where was it? 
November 2020, this has no longer been discussed. Why in January 9th, the CDC would suddenly start looking into this? And why was it that? And how is it possible that it disappeared? And it was all the way in, where was it? Oh, I looked at it earlier, multiple countries, and I don't think South Korea was one of them. How could it be nowhere until suddenly January 2022, this thing pops back up? This is just my thoughts, hypothetical. Then I want to ask a question, and, and this says down here, by the way, in the study that you're looking at and the CDC that goes all the way to, to, uh, to next month, apparently, it says the transmissibility of these two variants, or whatever they're going to call them today, and their likelihood to cause more severe infections are not confirmed. So you literally do an entire study and the finding is we don't know. This is what we keep seeing even about the variant discussion in the news. So why in the world did you do a study and stop where we don't know what's happening? Because I think this is a I think there's a reason these things are being pushed into our mind right now. Okay? And then we need to realize in my opinion that if this is the origin of Omicron that started in Botswana, went to South Africa, and we've seen all these weird little South African points I'm wondering why the CDC is suddenly pointing at this thing now. Just interesting thoughts. I think there's something connected there. And then I just want to rec- make sure we don't forget that Botswana, the government of Botswana, reported to us when this all started, that the only reason this began, or rather it began and was discovered in four foreign nationals who had entered Botswana. Right? That means foreign nationals who have natural uh, uh, a diplomatic immunity if you don't know what that means that means that people u.s politicians israeli politicians english politicians any syrian politics doesn't matter they or rather that would it depends on the politics but the point is that you know they can cross in a border and you don't check their bags you can't check what's on there you can't check their pockets you can't check anything they have diplomatic immunity they're allowed to cross the border with anything it could have weapons they could have anything which i don't know why that's ever been something we allow but they cross in, four of them, and they get sick. They're sick, and all, the, and all of a sudden, after their diplomatic mission, this all starts. That's crazy to me. And then we're realizing that this weird thing that they're now pointing out seems to be the origin of Omicron that started there with the diplomats, and here we are. It's pretty strange. There's something fishy going on with Omicron. I think we all see that, how they jump to making these injections without it being more dangerous, and it doesn't make sense. Something was triggered here. And I don't know exactly, I mean, this is what we do on this show, guys. I'm not trying to tell you we got all the answers, but there's something interesting here. I'd love to see your thoughts. I'd love to see you dive in and find something there. But bringing this over into the next conversation in regard to the risk, right? The very risk that they're trying to keep, I mean, rather, I mean, look, if they're not allowing you to do things that have been verifiably shown to give you a leg up or at the very, at the very least, but more so clearly to keep you from getting sick in regard to a lot of different things. This is showing us what's actually happening as they hold these things back from you. And this is not the first place you've seen this. I'm going to make a couple references to things we've already discussed. But according to the Blaze, and specifically to Rents, the uh, the attorney who spoke out at this hearing, whistleblowers share Department of Defense medical data that blows the vaccine safety debate wide open, January 26th. Many of you probably already heard this. Military medical whistleblowers have come forward with what they claim is perhaps the most accurate and revealing data set on vaccine safety one could possibly find. The pro-pharma politicians and media claim the CDC's pharma surveillance or co-vigilance tool, theirs, 
is simply not good enough to trigger investigations into the shots because anyone can supposedly submit a vaccine entry, adverse event entry, which is true, but that's always, always been the case. And it's always been used regardless of that because it's just about safety signals. The only reason they're pretending that's different is because before all this, the average person didn't really know what theirs was. In fact, they pretended it was fake. We brought it up. Right. And now they're admitting to because they wanted to pretend back then that there were nobody getting hurt by these things, but they were. So now they pretend it's unverified. Therefore, we shouldn't look at it. So why does it exist exactly? Right. I mean, that's so ridiculous, especially since HHS and Harvard made the report found it was only one percent of the total. And therefore, we should make a system that was more tapped into direct reports and death certificates and so on. And the CDC just walked away quietly, never responded to their emails or calls. And that's very clearly look, you can look this stuff up. Highwire did a whole report on this. Why would they keep the system in place if they were told it wasn't working because it doesn't work because they know they can dismiss it? That's exactly why. And is that think about back in the last swine flu where they had 53 reports of death. That stopped the whole damn thing. That was theirs. Those were unconfirmed. Why is that different? Because they want it to be. But they're telling you it's not good enough because anybody could lie. Thus, all the concerning safety signals from theirs are being ignored even though the system was put in place as a consolation to the public for absolving vaccine manufacturers of liability. That's a great point to think about. The reason they put this in place is so you could put these things in there. So it could be you putting it in there. So you have access to report, to reporting and reports. That they, they did it that way. So it made it seem like here, here, we're doing this for you. And now the rare, the very thing they acted like they did for you is the very reason they're ignoring what's happening to you. Isn't that perfect? Was it planned? I don't know. At the very least, it's, it's you know opportunist. But it says, well, now some military whistleblowers are coming forward to present data that if verified, you understand, verified to actually mean what the data says. The data, as far as I can tell, has been verified. Would signal extremely disturbing safety concerns about the vaccine that make the VAERS data look like child's play. Now, you'll see why I say that. Apparently, this has been documented, that it's been coming. It came from a secure source that they have documented, and he's ready to introduce this to a court. And that, so the point is the data shows what we're talking about. The question is whether they're going to claim it's for another reason or whether it's because of some error or data skewed for one reason or another, which is what they always try to do. But the point of this whole thing is if that is the case, why haven't they raised questions or points about it before? Why have they kept it quiet and secret? On Monday during Senator John, Ron Johnson's five hour hearing, which by the way, we mentioned earlier when it was first starting, but I really, everything you, I mean, I would say when I watched, went through a, most of it. There's only a few things I think that we haven't like really, really addressed on this show. Most of which, almost everything in that entire five hour thing you've already heard on the show, but that is not a reason not to watch it. It's powerful. And they're all, and, and almost everybody speaking there. I mean, they, they're highly credentialed people with that are experts that have a right to speak on these things and are telling you things they don't want you to hear. It's important and especially important for the people that are lost who may see that many credentialed experts in one place and go, I didn't even know they were there. I'd never even seen these people before, right? But it says, uh, and so the point was, make sure you watch that. Here's the link for it. But it says, Ohio attorney Thomas Renz, who has been representing clients suing the vaccine mandates, which there's an, an outlet if somebody wants to reach out, presented DOD medical billing data from the Department Medical Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, the DMED, DMED that paints a shockingly disturbing picture of the health of our service members in 2021. Now you can listen to him, read it off right here, but I'll just read you what it says right here, the important parts. The DMED is an arm, the Armed Forces Health Surveillance Branch. Uh, it's, it's their, this is their VAERS for the military. It contains every ICD medical billing code for any medical diagnosis in the military submitted for medical insurance billing during any given period of time. 
In a declaration under penalty of perjury, Rents plans to use a federal court, Dr. Samuel Singloff and Peter Chambers and Teresa Long, three military doctors now, revealed that there has been a 300% increase in DMED codes registered for miscarriages in the military just in 2021 over the, fi- over the five-year average. And they compiled this information from the five-year average to make this point. So look, you can argue that there's a reason that might be explained for some other reason. And we'll get into why it's not COVID. But the data is pretty clear. You've got three whistleblower medical doctors already on record. You've got this attorney who has this all documented. And he's ready to introduce into a court of law. It's hard to run from this. The five-year average was 1,499 codes for miscarriages per year. During the first 10 months alone of 2021, there was 4,182 codes for miscarriages. Think about how disgusting that is. The numbers tended to be remarkably similar in all those preceding years, including 2020, right? Before before they were all pretty similar, which was the first year of the pandemic, but before vaccines were distributed. So you would argue that if this was because of COVID, well, the year when it was supposed to be exploding the worst in an untapped population that had never seen it before, that's where you would argue you'd have the worst issue, but nothing. It was the same. But when 2021, when the injections were begun, the numbers skyrocketed. And the 2021 data doesn't even include the months of November and December. Obviously, because that goes absolutely haywire for them because of Omicron and everything else that happened. They're hiding all this. Some public health officials speculate that COVID itself places women at higher risk for miscarriages. And by the way, I would argue that's not even necessarily confirmed because it's whether early studies that haven't, I mean, we've already looked at most of this stuff, but even let's just say for sake of conversation that it is just like the myocarditis argument. You have to get this thing first that most people are very low risk from to actually have the risk. You take the injection, it's right there. And here what we're trying to show you is this risk is right there, just like with myocarditis. And I'll prove it to you yet again. But it says the number of miscarriage codes recorded in 2020 was actually slightly lower below the five-year average. So 2020, even with COVID-19, it was lower. There's no way that makes sense. They were not drastically below the average on any one category in a way that one could suggest it reflects a lockdown-related decrease which is what they might try to say, which would somehow lead to an increase in 2021 diagnosis. Either way, you can't argue that it was, you know, all the different things they try to say. Well, they weren't going to doctors or they were going more to doctors or they were, you know, whatever. It's clearly mostly correlated alongside the injections. Aside from the spike in miscarriages uh, diagnoses, ICD code 003 or yeah, 003 for spontaneous abortions, there was an almost 300% increase in cancer diagnoses. And we know this. I could play the Ryan Cole clip again. He says very clearly that the CD4 T cells are dramatically dropping. And he has waterfall of data from everybody he's seen that proves that. But nobody wants to talk about it. Showing you that they're getting extra cancers, extra problems, because they're they're removing the things from the body that actually fight these things off. And it says that's from a five-year average of 38,700 per year, all the way up to 114,645 in the first 11 months alone of 2021. There was also a 1,000% increase in diagnosis codes for neurological issues. All of this lines up with what we're seeing, which increased from a baseline average of 82,000 to 863,000. That is disgusting. Some other members uh, numbers he did not mention in the hearing, but gave it to uh, Blaze in an interview. Myocarditis infarction, 269% increase. Yeah, but let's go on pretending. Let's go on pretending 
that the whole myocarditis and the swelling of the heart and the collapsing athlete, totally not a real thing, right? 269% increase. Come on, guys. Bell's palsy, 291% increase. Congenital malformations for children of military personnel. 156. So even if they don't have a miscarriage, they're 150% increase in the possibility of having the malformation. Female infertility in general, 471% increase. Pulmonary embolisms, 467% increase. Guys, this is annihilating people. This is what their data shows. Now, if anybody wants to come out from the military and explain why this is something we're misunderstanding, go have at it. Now, I, the point is, I bet you this never goes to a court of law because they just pretend like he's lying and never give it a, any daylight. But he's he's ready to introduce this to a court of law. He's an attorney. He's got three medical doctors from the military whistleblowing on the record. He's got the actual transfer of the information on the record. Right here, he claims to have a video with two witnesses showing the entire process of downloading the data from their database and is prepared to present it in a court. I mean, you don't, you could argue he's saying that, but all they have to do is go, okay, prove it. That's what you would do if you were in the right and you knew it. They'll never do that because they don't want him to prove it because he's probably right. That's my opinion. But my point is simply, let's, why wouldn't we let this flesh out? We should be, they should be screaming. This is something we should be talking about, but they're not. Now, this is an important note as well. It's important to note that these numbers do not represent the number of individual people diagnosed with various ailments, but simply the number of diagnosis codes used in totality at a given time. So, for example, somebody who has a stroke is obviously going to rack up numerous codes over the time because of what they're dealing with, multiple ambulatory visits and so on, right? But nonetheless, as it says, apples to apples, comparison from the previous five years clearly show you unmistakable spikes in ailments, whether or not it's multiple treatments. And then again, with everything else we just discussed, it's very clear that there's no way you can argue it's because of COVID unless something dramatically changed between 2020 and even the beginning of 2021. Right? All they ever said was Omicron changed everything. Well, all before that was still the same point. And all Omicron really seemed to have changed is made it more focused on the people that took the injections. Now, it's as if these numbers are verified in the upcoming court cases, which they probably won't allow, then absent some massive military insurance fraud, or which, again, that's a good point, right? There could be some massive fraud being conducted by the military or by the people themselves or a bizarre glitch in the system. It potentially paints, and I love that they're being objective about this, a shocking picture of vaccine safety, potentially. That would indicate that not only were the Vayer safety signals something that should be immediately have been followed, but they are plagued by woeful underreporting. Now, here's the other thing to think about. Sure, you could dismiss this as we don't know, and it could be this or it could be that. But then how would you align it with Vayer's? If you think Vayer's is a bunch of fake news, how do you make sense of the military data? If you think the military data is fake, how do you make sense of the Vayer's? It shows you this is real, guys. I didn't say proves it to you, but it shows you very clearly with everything else that we know that it's obvious there's something going on. They're playing games with the data. We've proven to you this a million ways over. Now, DMED is quite literally an epidemiological surveillance program designed specifically for express purpose, the express purpose of de uh, detecting surges in illness and injury to make sure the military is combat ready, right? So you'd argue this is far more accurate and tuned in to the moment. It's about national security even more than public health. So why would the military not have blown the whistle and warned the CDC right away about this data? Well, Operation Warp Speed, guys. This has always been a military agenda. It's been a military program and, pro and project from day one. That was far more clear under Trump, but it's still happening under Biden. 
How could the blaring and glaring surveillance signals of a lifetime be ignored by the D- Defense Health Agency? And how has this not conveyed, and how, and, and how was this not conveyed to the general public? For his part, Senator John Ron Johnson said at the Monday hearing that he put DOD on notice, and it better not delete any of the data, which they probably will, or they'll have a weird glitch, or a, another plane will fly into the building that's holding the data. You know how these things tend to work. The Department of Defense, the Biden administration is on notice. They must preserve these records and must be investigated. Now, of course, I'm saying this is a facetious point, but I'm, all the people that are going to be like, oh, he believes there's planes in our large shell. <laughs> Because that's what people love to do. The simple point is, it's obvious here that there's, they're pulling one over on us, guys. They're hiding this from us. And people are beginning to blow the whistle. That's really what this comes down to. And just to add to this, here's a, a few other reports that very clearly show you what people will try to dismiss. This entitled Glass House by Brian Moray, a New York uh, study... Find and I, IFV again stands for IVF. Excuse me, stands for. Uh, it's right down here somewhere. I just saw it earlier. It's in regard to. I, I'll read it down here. It says it in there, but it says finds higher rates of pregnancy failure among COVID vaccinated women. It's pretty simple. Yet again, New York focused. It says in a comparison between 214 COVID vaccinated patients and 733 unvaccinated controls from February to September of 2021. Which I always find it interesting that they have the, I mean, I know they can do the, the percentages or the, the per 100,000, but isn't it strange that it's always slanted? Like, why wouldn't you just end up finding, why wouldn't you just break that vaccinated number down to 214? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I don't understand, but, and then it's 214 versus 214. Wouldn't that make more sense? But it says the COVID vaccinated had a lower rate of achieving clinical or ongoing pregnancies during frozen embryo transfer, IVF. That's what it's, that's what it is. Rates of loss before biochemical and after determination of clinical pregnancy were higher. And yet, what do the authors make of their own results? Nothing to see here. Literally, that's what they say. The clinical pregnancy rate loss rate in relative terms and among confirmed clinical pregnancies only is 50% higher. Is that not a significant difference? Yeah. I mean, here's the graph for you in general, and you can see down here, clinical pregnancy loss. I mean, I don't know why that wouldn't be relevant, but they just skipped right over it. There's one, and here's what we pointed out before many times. This is a study specifically, and this is on the mRNA injection Moderna. In the study, it clearly finds, and the similar things on Pfizer as well, in the, in regard to the, and this is in, in the reproduction toxicity area, it says very clearly the overall pregnancy index was numerically lower in mRNA vaccinated female rats, 84.1% compared to control group animals, which was 93.2. You're talking almost a 10% decrease in the overall pregnancy index. I've shown you guys this many times. And all they argue is, well, it doesn't fall below the range of 75, so therefore it's not reportable. What do you mean not reportable? 10%? That's crazy to me. That's what they say right here. The historical control range, 75 so we'll just leave it out, pretend. We'll literally say right up here that there is no indication of any fertility issue, no adverse event, and then report literally a almost 10% decrease in fertility. How dumb is that? This is why you had the people like we talked about the Groucho guy saying, you're so stupid. Look at what they say right there. It literally says that's not how you're supposed to think about that. <laughs> I'm sure glad you get told how to think about things. How about we just realize that a overall 
10% decrease in fertility, regardless of whether they say that's relevant, is obviously relevant, you complete moron. <laughs> I mean, it's like, come on. But the point being, they just don't tell you it's there. They act like it doesn't exist. And we see things like this ongoing. January 15th, the mom got her first Pfizer dose. She's breastfeeding. That evening, her four-week-old daughter became very sick and was vomiting every time she would nurse. Then this rash appeared, right? This is happening all over the place. You can look through veyers and it's constant, but they go unverified, not true. That's where it ends. Breastfeeding. And oh, and don't forget, by the way, this one here. Oh, I'm pretty sure I thought I included that. I thought I had it in here. Huh, guess not. The point being, as I've shown you a thousand times, that they the, the Pfizer study, I was almost certain I had that, very clearly says that they that don't know whether it's safe. They don't know whether these things are safe for breastfeeding, for pregnant women. How in the world does that make sense to anybody? I want to see if I have that somewhere. Let's do it like this real quick. See if it is, oh no, it would be, there it is. Yeah. Nice. Just most of you, I mean, you guys have all probably seen this, but this is for those that might not have. It's important to give people the tools to be able to fight back against this, right? So as they're telling you, as they're giving it to babies or mothers that are breastfeeding, just important to note that in this information from the report of November 2021, in regard to community, Right, that's what this is about. Their risk management plan for community, and they discuss their what they don't know. They're missing information, and it says very clearly in pregnancy and breastfeeding, the safety profile of the vaccine is not known in pregnant or breastfeeding women. How do you make sense of that? The one new person to the show who thinks we're fake news, please think about that. How do you make sense of that? How can they report that we don't know if it's safe for pregnant women and breastfeeding women, and then coerce them into getting it? That's what it looks like when you give somebody something that's not safe. And then they censor us for saying it's not safe. Well, <clears throat> here's a quick part that I wanted to play for you. Now, I'm going to play the full thing at the end, by the way, so stay tuned to the end. But here is an expert. In fact, somebody who was considered a vaccine uh, you know, expert in the world before all this started. Now he's considered a conspiracy theorist because he says the things they don't want him to say. Isn't that funny? So you're an expert right up until you disagree with the media. Professor Christian Perone, Perone. So. I'll read this for the people on the uh, podcast, but it says, oh, let me get past this first part. He's talking about the pregnant women discussion. Most of the, the vaccines they have before take 10 years to be authorized. Exactly. It says, when I see the scandal with pregnant women, normally it takes 10 years after definitive authorization and it's in regard to outside the United States where they use that term differently. But remember, in the United States, it's not, it's either approval or authorization, emergency authorization of commercial use for it to be authorized for a pregnant woman with enough hindsight. I'll just do it like this. And then what's uh, right here. And it says, and, uh, now in a few months, it was authorized. A few months versus 10 years. What shocks me is the absence of scientific studies on these decisions. When our government says it takes three doses, soon four doses, five doses, six doses, we don't know. There is zero scientific data to support these decisions. Like these experts pointing these things out, one of them being about pregnant women, and they don't know if it's safe. That's exactly what I keep trying to show people. How does that make sense? They don't know if it's safe. Like, where are all the people out there that are going along with this and thinking that they've said it was safe? Show them this. Get in front of them. 
Make sure they recognize this is what's happening because of their willful ignorance. But I'll play this more at the end. He goes off on literally everything. And this guy is this guy would be heralded as one of like the top experts in their narrative if he was saying what they wanted him to say. Now, here is how they debunk somebody like this in their fake fact checks. This highly credentialed expert. Fact check. French doctor making false vaccine claims is not former WHO VP. Well, he didn't even argue that. So they're not really, they're fact checking a Facebook post about him giving the speech. Therefore, all of the mindless people on the Twitter sphere can go and say, oh, that guy was debunked. Didn't you see the fact check? Well, that's not what they said. Well, they did go down to the bottom to argue that he's making a bunch of claims that they can't, that it is fake news. But they're at the end of the day, they say only misleading. And all they do is get into whether or not he's the VP of WHO. That's how they play this game. He didn't even make that claim. The person on this Facebook post, who, by the way, is probably part of the way they use to disbunk these people. Like, I genuinely believe that's part of this. I believe there's people that are playing their partisan roles and are mis intentionally misleading. So then they can point it and go fake news. See, he lied about that. Therefore, all of it's debunked, which is what these people do. It's frustrating. And it's obviously not valid if all they're debunking is something somebody else said about what he was saying, and then suddenly everything he said in this eight-minute clip is completely debunked, even though it wasn't. It's frustrating, but that's, that's the epitome of their fact-checking. Well, here is how the narrative is dissolving right in front of you. Even the mainstream, even people from the NHS, even people involved in these things, and a lot of them are doing it dishonestly because they're like a Barry Weiss situation where they're trying to gra gain your interest and make you look, think like they're so smart and they see through it, even though they're only now jumping into it because it's safe and they're allowed to, in fact, probably being pulled to. But either way, the reality is people like us and people like all the independent media that have been fighting for you this entire time have been showing you this stuff. And now it's starting to actually come out. And even as the mainstream and all these Twitter experts, armchair and otherwise, are yelling about how we don't understand the information. Now, the, the, the Scotland data, you're, you don't even know what you're looking at, right? The very, very, very clear example of how the majority and, and the per 100,000 is in the side of this guy. Yeah, that's pretty unclear, isn't it? Well, the reality is it's coming out from every angle. And now these people are telling you the same thing. Now, take a listen to what he's saying. Actually, I'll, I'll play it like this, since I know I have the file I downloaded. ...thousand vaccinated people. More people are getting Omicron and coming into hospital than people who are unvaccinated in the last four weeks. Now, preventing serious illness and preventing infection are totally separate things. Mm -hmm. The point of the vaccine mandate is that the vaccine is supposed to stop infection and therefore onward transmission. It doesn't do that not with Omicron, and before the evidence for it was marginal. That's a point, big point right there, that, that even before it, it also wasn't doing that, and I agree with that. And he says marginal because they weren't even trying to prove it. They just stated that it did that. That's my point. It wasn't doing it before either. They didn't, and that was, goes back to the very beginning. They didn't even try to make it do that. They didn't even care. They didn't pay for it, as he told them. But here we are, not to suggest they had to pay for it to make that happen, but pay for it to, to study whether it would. They didn't even look into it, and now we see it. I don't think they wanted us to see that. But he's telling you right there, the per risk, the risk per 100,000 is obvious right now. In the cases and hospitalizations, at the very least, are on the side of the fully injected and the boosted. 
It's very clear. Right now, which we'll get into in a minute, the whole point about the booster, right now they're screaming, look, but the boost is lower, you liars. That's because you already got them back on this train. And after the three-month drop-off, it jumps back up to 75% increase. And mark my words, we're going to see that same category right back in with the rest of them. Once they go, once this situation corrects itself, right? Or earlier, if we see this thing collapse even earlier. The point is that this stuff is having whatever effect it's having on their body, whatever they're seemingly addicted to. But now it's going to, we have the increase in the beginning, which we're seeing. Then we have the 75% increase afterward, 30 days, or excuse me, three months afterward. This is, an, this is oh, excuse me. So this is Anna Breeze, if you're not familiar with, who's a you know former mainstream defector, essentially, ex-BBC, was reached out to by people at BBC and said this was about to, this is coming out, right? And so this is somebody from the NHS speaking on the record about how people per 100,000 vaccinated people were more getting, or I doubt, I honestly don't believe it's going to be on the BBC, but nonetheless, this is important. And they're telling you the truth because that's what the data backs up, guys, that right now they're at more risk. And here's the point we were just referencing Right, they're, what they're they're trying to pretend like my this the guy who wrote this study apparently is coming up with my study's being misrepresented and it's not true. There's no way all they're saying it's not being misrepresented. What they're saying is this could be just a statistical anomaly. Well, yeah, that's really self-serving. It also could show you what we're talking about too. How about when we show things that that are? How about the fact that we say, hey, this the the fact that it worked in the beginning that's that's a statistical anomaly and this bottom part was the real stuff. Well, it's just as fair as saying the bottom is because you can't prove that. They're just saying it might be. The bottom line is this is already being vindicated. We are seeing the, the evidence of this, and that's actually shown to you by the fact that we're watching. Not, in, I mean, the cases are really, really clear, and I think this is the first part of it. We're already seeing the three-dose booster side of this explode with the cases. Now, the point was, if you look at the hospitalizations and deaths in Scotland specifically, you'll see that the booster per 100,000 is lower. And they're arguing, that's proof that it's all working. It was always meant to be three. You just get the third and you're good. But that's not even remotely true. All their own science is showing you that it also starts to wane immediately after two months all down to basically, and that's what this is showing you. It's right here. That it goes almost instantly. Right? I mean, in the, the very beginning, it's only 55%. That's relative. That's Omicron and Pfizer. Moderna is even worse. It's 736%. But it goes 55% right out of the gate. That's worse than before. 86 was Delta. Then it goes 16 after 30 days, down to 9 after 90, but then after 90, or before after 60, but after 90, it goes to negative efficacy. You have a 76% increased chance of catching this. Now, you could argue that's a statistical anomaly all day, but the point is the data is proving that. Look at the cases we just showed you, right? I mean, it's exploding in the booster dose. Exploding. Now, that is because you have a one, you have a 50% increased risk of getting COVID in the first nine to 12 days when you get this. That's also backed up by Pfizer data. But then, of course, they argue it drops down and it starts to work. So we're clearly walking along the data and seeing that's why. Increased risk, increased cases. Pretty simple, isn't it? Then you've got the middle ground here where these people haven't started to get severely sick yet because, in my opinion, I don't know why this isn't zooming out on me. Come on. Is this freezing on me again? There it goes. Because again, we're talking about the fact that right now they're in this area, right? They're in this, they're in this part where something's happening. But once you pass that three month mark, which is why that's always been something I've been pointing at, it explodes. And so it seems like they're desperate to keep people on this hook so they can avoid that obvious picture of all of them having lots of problems. Interesting. I just think that's very obvious when you go forward that that's about to happen. But reality is that people like this NHS individual are telling you 
that these things are going that way. And that's what we're seeing. So they can't really hide from this number anymore because that's coming true either way. Then recognize that as we're staring at 55% redu- relative risk reduction versus 36 in Moderna, and that's the that's one day afterward, it doesn't get better than that. Don't forget that Albert Borla swore up and down this was 100% effective back in April 2021. Vaccine was 100% effective at preventing COVID. That's transmission. We're long past that, you utter liar. Transmission, right? That's ne- that we're, they're all admitting that now. Now we're pretending to do symptoms, but that's also not happening, right? That's negative efficacy is not even remotely 100%, right? That's ridiculous. But this is what this, and they're going to do the same thing about the new injection for Omicron. They're going to do the same thing about the rest of them. They're going to tout their short flash in the pan study and say it works until it stops immediately after two months or whatever else, just like last time. But here is the group. NHS 100 case she's linking to, which by the way, maybe you didn't know that there are people within the NHS that are speaking out, uniting over 100,000 NHS staff who stand in favor of freedom of choice. Good for them. Now, recognize that her tweet got deleted first, by the way, which is ridiculous. All it was was the same thing. And all it said was exactly, it says, you know, this was sent to me by so-and-so and here it is, check it out. And it made her delete it. How stupid is that? And then here is James Lyons Weiler tagging the tweet that was deleted. Omicron simply means we can't hide breakthrough cases anymore. I agree with that, right? I, this very well could just be vaccine effects being recategorized as something else, guys. I don't know why we wouldn't consider that. And you know, we have from day one. That's one of the first things we actually thought. It's very clear that that's something that's possible. Now, on top of that, don't forget that the vaccine Israeli, Israeli vaccine chief himself has already come out and told you this is we are wrong. This does not protect you. And he points back to before as well. It's not just now. I think that's really relevant in this context that he's saying it wasn't just now. We realize this thing has never stopped transmission. This is not protecting you. I think that's really important to see. So we did believe at that time that vaccines can prevent also transmission. And the data was also in that sense. So what we believe is that you know vaccines can prevent transmission perhaps shortly after administered but not over a long period of time. And therefore, yes, we were surprised to discover at the end of the day that, no, the vaccines are not protecting us. They are not causing what we call sterilizing immunity. Yep, exactly. And that's now why they're trying to push this new thing about what they're going to, the new patch that makes sterilizing immunity. Yeah, the thing you should have done from day one that you've tried. it's, It's quite obvious how they're playing this game. Now. I'm going to jump past these real quick because I'm going to play this next. Now, this is interesting because this is exactly what we have been saying. And this is my, this is, I'm, I'm glad to see it. This is, it, this is Dr. Urso, who we, we follow and point to in the past, interviewed by uh, uh, Highwire, by uh, Del Bigtree. And guess what he's pointing to? You won't be surprised. It is so true. And I, I don't even know what to say to it other than to say, to point out, Thankfully, Scotland and England are actually giving us real data where we see that the vaccinated are dying in higher numbers right now. And yeah. you- now, it's now that see I that what frustrates me about that, that is an, that's an argument that they already know how to dismiss. They're going to say, well, because they're, they're the majority and the risk is higher for that. But that's not true, though. Like the point shouldn't be that it's the majority, even though that's obviously relevant, as I keep pointing out. But it's the risk is also higher. 
You see what I mean? Like that's the most important part there. You look at the per hundred thousand. I mean, this is what we're seeing. And my point is not that he's not saying that, but that's the point for all of us to continue to talk about, right? We need to point out both of these alongside each other and not just in Scotland. We just, we, we just talked about a few other locations as well. And they're showing you the same thing, especially in cases right now, which is what drives what we're talking about. That's why this is undeniably, at least right now, but I think it always has been a pandemic of the injected. Of course, we have to look at that to see why. Why? We want to help people. Yeah. We want to help the vaccinated people. We want right. to help the unvaccinated. We, we want to help everybody. And the only way we could do that is to have honest information and transparency. So as we go forward, if we don't get that, we should all be upset, not just the vaccinated yeah. people, unvaccinated people. All of us ought to be. Why can't we get real information? And thankfully, we have some so that we can at least yeah. draw attention to it and say, look, this is really happening. And I just can't believe how, how arrogant they are. How, I mean, it's, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm still in shock about it almost every day when I, when I literally come in and I see them go on TV and say 99% of the people in the hospital are unvaccinated. And, and I, to, bring, to your point, um, Pierre Corey talked about this. What we're seeing is if you're vaccinated, a lot of those people in the ICU are said vaccination status unknown unknown mm -hmm. and let me say i had one nurse and I, uh, she wanted to do project veritas i said don't do it you're just going to get destroyed <laughs> but 16 of 17 people were vaccinated that's that's kind of an interesting sentiment there right i mean i've always pointed out that project veritas has done plenty of good work that's very very relevant whether or not it's obviously partisan and obviously in many ways taken out of context it's still very relevant because it is verifiable truth Right. I mean, as long as you can take that in and recognize that it could be slanted or, you know, selectively edited or whatever else, it still is nonetheless exactly what they did say on record. Right. I mean, that serves a valid purpose. But nonetheless, it's interesting to see them say that and him laugh, because I think what they're what the sentiment would be is that it's it doesn't really it, that doing so is only going to hurt you. Because they're going to get, you know, you will get destroyed, like we've seen happen with a lot of them. And then it will also be used as almost a way to dismiss it. You know what I mean? And that's, and that's, I, I'm not saying, I think that it serves a purpose, but it could be simply used as a way to part in a partisan way. You like it, like an Alex Jones, for instance, whether they know they are serving that purpose, just something to think about. I still are. I still, every time when we see, I actually, I have a think from project Veritas in the clips today, which I just played the other day. There's still valid points to it, but as always, we have to consider how the parties, the paradigm is being used against us. Cause that's all it's really there for. Listed as, vaccination status or said vaccination status unknown unknown mm -hmm. I'm, I'm i'm still in shock about it almost every day when i when i literally come in and i see them go on tv and say 99 percent of the people in the hospital are unvaccinated and, and i to bring to your point um pierre corey talked about this what we're seeing is if you're vaccinated a lot of those people in the icu are said vaccination status unknown unknown mm-hmm and let me say, I had one nurse and I, uh, she wanted to do Project Veritas. I said, don't do it. You're just going to get destroyed. <laughs> but 16 of 17 people were vaccinated, listed as vaccination status unknown in the hospital in Houston, Texas. Yeah. Wow. 16 of 17. 16 of 17. Right. So think about that in regard to the unknown category that we keep pointing to. Right. You know, I mean, how often have we made that argument? So here's also the point in this is that we're talking about an unknown category that can be applied however they see fit 
We're talking about how they've shifted to dose three, knowing that that's at a point where it hasn't fully fleshed out on what we're looking at instead of what they're still calling fully vaccinated, which makes no sense. And comparing that to not, which is a guaranteed way to slant the numbers. Right. And then we do know, as a matter of fact, according to Ireland and in Scotland and plenty of other places, what they're doing is kicking down the first 14 days before shot one into unvaccinated. Oh, this isn't the right page. It's right here. Where, uh, where, no, right here. Scotland's information made that very clear. Or excuse me. I keep saying that Ireland, Northern Ireland made it very clear. It says very clearly at the, oh, I won't scroll up in here. We've showed it, you showed it to yesterday. The one that's ob- more obvious than anything is Alberta. But the point is all of them are doing this and it's, it's listed. I mean, this is public. I mean, this is on their website now, even though they removed the graph that it, it admits that all of this happens within 14 days of the first shot, or rather the vast majority of it does. But it says it right here as plain as day. Their cases, in this case, 56%, they're saying of cases were unvaccinated or diagnosed within two weeks of the first dose of the first dose. Now, if you look, when you look at the report we showed you and you find out that almost 50% of that happens within 14 days, that means that right now a huge portion of this should have been injected or regarded as one dose or injected or whatever. 71% of hospitalized cases were unvaccinated or diagnosed within two weeks of the first dose. So it's the same thing. They're telling you everything within first 14 days gets dumped back into uninjected. Same with deaths. That's every, they're all doing this. This is how they're playing the game. It's clear how they're using this to manipulate the data. And to his point about the ICU, it's the same idea. They keep pretending that they're overwhelmed with only unvaccinated 99%. They all keep yelling that, but the data is right in front of you. Hospital in general, it's almost 75%. Just ICU alone is over 50% uninjected. You can't pretend it's all slanted in one direction. And then as we've shown you before, and this is just Ontario, they're still showing you your risk of getting sick in general is exponentially higher if you're fully injected versus not. Pretty damn clear. We've shown you that here. This is New South Wales showing you that the risk right now, or rather specifically back on the hospital point, as always, that double injected account for 71% of people in hospital, 62.7% of people in the ICU. That's up from 702 last week and 70 and 53.7 respectively last week. Look at that jump in ICU. 53 to set that's almost a 10% jump in who is in the ICU. Did they gain 10% in the injections? No, they didn't. So how do you factor that in with their narrative? You don't. Then uh, one other thing in the same report, but on a different angle. Take note of this point. Percentage of total occupied ICU beds with COVID-19, only 39.4%. Meanwhile, they're simultaneously screaming that they're overwhelmed with only COVID patients. They're blatant liars. It's all about narrative here today. Now, back to this. Remember that this is the point here. The right, it's obvious that the cases, first of all, are, I mean, it's aggressively slanted, even on the booster compared to just unvaccinated. It's in every category more, exponentially more in many cases. I mean, look at this. That's t- half a time again more right there, 50% more for the first category, first week, I mean. Either way, you add it up in the vast majority of all the cases, vast majority are on the side of the injected, and then even booster compared to unvaccinated, the risk per 100,000 is dramatically more. That's not supposed to make sense in the way they said the booster does everything, right? But it's same with hospitalizations. For those who haven't seen it before, two doses is higher. Then you look over here and recognize that the booster part of it, as I said before, is in the middle phase, right? They're in this phase. They're right here. 
So you could argue that it's doing something. But even my argument is not necessarily that this is having a positive effect. It's only in regard to COVID because recognize this is only about COVID, right? We're not talking about the blood clots and heart attacks and everything else that's causing them to go to the hospital, right? So they deem it not COVID when they know they're injected, right? This is very clear how this is happening. It's already been documented. So the point is, this is only COVID. So right now they're in a situation where these people are having all sorts of problems that aren't getting diagnosed as COVID. So therefore it doesn't go on this list. And on top of that, arguably, they have some level of something going on. And once they hit three months is when it explodes in the opposite direction. Once that happens, which we're almost, I mean, it's, we're going to see, it's already starting. We're going to see it. Mark my words. But same thing with death, same point, same point in the booster and same point with all the rest. All said and done, the majority of everything in every category is on the side of the fully injected and the risk per 1,000 is averaged out far more in every single category. I mean, I did this last week. Here's the last week right here. Same point in regard to the per 100,000 risk. Two dose specifically, which is what they're calling fully injected. And the average, by the way, comes out higher than the uninjected. For those you can see this, the podcast, I've, I've gone over it in past shows, but that also aligns with the UK data. Same exact point. We have the higher lit point going on here, right? Every category is higher in the, in the, in even with the three dose pivot, even with the three dose pivot. So the second dose is way higher in the fully injected side. So they're hiding that right now, which we showed you in a past report. But even the three dose pivot from one for from none is still higher in almost every category, meaning they're the ones spreading this, catching it, and even the ones potentially getting unvaccinated people sick. And then that's when we point over here to the rates that they're hiding behind. They're hiding behind the 14 days, which gets dumped down into something else. And then even when on to prove they're doing that from the higher categories too, kicking down 14 days before the third dose down to the one and just keep shuttling it all down out of your view. And on top of that, we know that the three dose part of this is hiding the big part category, which they're still calling. You can't call it fully injected and then hide that in your results because that's what they're still doing. Now, here's another one. This was even more, this is very clear. And this one is from, uh, where was it? Uh, for crying out loud, I just looked this earlier. Uh, COVID data just blandly. <laughs> Funny is this. I, where I got this from, it has, oh, here it is. Here it is. Okay. So we're talking about all of this area here. South Iceland, Iceland. Looks like all Iceland. Okay. So we're talking about Iceland. Back down to the point. It's weird they wouldn't say at the top, right? Like mostly say like Iceland, <laughs> the data or UK. Anyway, so here's the main point. 14-day incidence by age and vaccination status per 100,000 vaccination group. Well, okay, who's the highest? Look at that. Children. Now, well, excuse me, that's not the one because not children not fully vaccinated. You could We could make arguments about that all day because we already know that's being aggressively manipulated. We already know that's been verifiably shown that they're going in for broken legs and getting tested and told they have COVID when they don't even have it. It's so obviously being manipulated, but whatever. You could pretend, let's just pretend they're the highest and the next point is what I'm getting at. Fully injected children. Even if you think that makes sense that the, the non-injected children are getting this, even though that's, look, look at the world data. How would you possibly make sense of this if around the world, it's basically zeroed out for children getting sick? But let's pretend like right in this one location, it's like all over the place. Here, the next category, the second highest risk right now of getting sick per 100,000 is fully injected children. Children who have the lowest risk of getting sick from COVID. 
How do you possibly make sense of that other than the injections increasing their risk? That's what that shows you guys. There's no way around that. Then fully vaccinated adults are number two. That shows it's working, right, guys? And then adults not injected, not fully injected, which is one, is the next category. And then adults fully vaccinated with booster below that. How funny. None of that, by the way, seems to show you uninjected. Isn't that interesting? Why wouldn't they include that? How much you want to bet is because it's way lower. Just my thought. Either way, how do you possibly make sense of the fact that this is, I mean, the numbers are exploding in the categories of injections. They just don't want to look at this. Now, remember, guys, this is the main point. Within the first 14 days of every category, cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, you find the majority of what they're averaging out amongst everybody. And then that gets kicked down to uninjected, as you just saw proven in the album, in, in right, right here. They're telling you right there. Now, another comments to the deleted tweet I pointed out from Anna Breeze. Somebody also points out in a very, this is the point that he just says succinctly that I want to state again that we've been making. Why is no one asking why in one breath, a lot of people, but also Sajid Javid in UK is totally happy to say on the record that two jabs are ineffective in fighting this. But in the next breath, staff in the NHS have to get those two jabs only. That's what we're seeing everywhere. Right now in the US, they're playing this absurdly embarrassing game where, no, 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 you're still fully injected, but you have to get these to be up to date and pretending like that even remotely makes sense. So he's telling these people, you have to get the two. That's all you need. Get the two and you're good. Meanwhile, saying that's not effective to fight the thing, they need those two jabs to fight. That's been, that's a microcosm of everything in this entire narrative. They have lost this. It's the key fundamental point of the absurdity of the mandate, yet no one is pushing this question. Well, we are, but they don't, maybe they're not familiar with our work. Now, here is Peter McCullough being interviewed by somebody, and I just want to play this clip real quick. It's very revealing what they have to say. Now, what he points out in this clip is one, the point that I really want you to take away from this. Public health officials cannot and will not cite the data so that people can verify the scientific reporting. Now, I'm, I believe he's talking about the United States, and I agree. I've already made this point. The CDC is overtly hiding things and, oh, and muddling up data and displaying it in a way that's next to impossible to actually break down for yourself. And then omitting certain things that make it clearly impossible. That's his point. When I go on an interview, Dr. Peter McCullough is saying, I am precise, accurate, and honest with scientific inference. Press hard to have your public health officials up their game. Well, that's assuming they're even remotely being honest. They're not. So, you know, you could try all you want. I doubt they're going to care what you have to say because they don't answer to you, which is the real point. But listen to what they have to say. See, you are actually double, if not triple vaccinated. Um, she starts by saying people in the IC, which is what we were just saying, right? Are right now over their hospitals are being overwhelmed with the injected and they're desperate to hide that from you. And also that there's lots of countries. And, oh, and by the way, in no way am I laughing about the suffering those people are going through. It's ridiculous how they're trying to hide it when it's happening so obviously. That's what I'm getting humor out of. The point is, in no way should we take pleasure out of people getting manipulated by a government into doing a dangerous thing and then being hurt by it when they thought they were doing the right thing. Might as well be people being manipulated to join the military because they think they're fighting freedom when they turn out, when it turns out all they're doing is raping, robbing, and pillaging. Same kind of idea. Right? We shouldn't relish those people suffering in that way, even if they were laughing at us. Let's be better than that.
around the world, doctor, that are saying that you won't be allowed to travel or enter their countries unless you are triple vaccinated, and that the the fully vaccinated have super immunity. Now, the American frontline doctors have just been speaking about something called VADES, vaccine acquired. I had to make a comment on that. And this evades is important. This is the kind of AIDS immune, immune deficiency crossover we're seeing. But they're actually arguing that vaccinated have super immunity, right? And the argument is why? Oh, that's right, because they already have natural immunity. Isn't that ridiculous? Because natural immunity, as even their own data has already shown, is way better than anything we're talking about. And all they end up doing is giving them an injection, which actually creates negative problems for them, removes antibodies, and could potentially causes ad- adverse events and causes uh, antibody-dependent enhancement. But that's still better than what they're dealing with with just injections. Isn't that ridiculous? Super immunity as we ignore the thing. It's just, ah, I know that most of them see that they're being dishonest. That's how I feel about it. Immune deficiency syndrome, which indicates that the um, they're actually super spreaders and they're super compromised, yep. not super immune through these vaccines. So can you explain in layman's terms to those who are watching and listening, what's actually going on with the immune system in the vaccinated? The vaccines, the genetic vaccines, all trick the body's genetic machinery to produce the original Wuhan spike protein, which we now know it lasts in the human body for many months, if not years. Uh, Papers by Bruce Patterson and Banzel have demonstrated that. I've had Bruce Patterson on the McCullough Report. Uh, He's the molecular biologist, pathologist who leads a a company called Incel uh, DX in the United States. It's clear this spike protein in the body is messing up the immune system. The World Health Organization has uh, now warnings out on this that boosters, uh, in fact, could backfire, worsen immunity. And now we have a paper published in JAMA recently by Acorsi and colleagues through the Delta and Omicron outbreaks, making it clear one vaccine, two vaccines, three vaccines, absolutely no difference in the viral load in the nose. Yep. So the vaccines are not touching the virus and they're allowing the virus to replicate at high speeds now. So the uh, Omicron variant uh, replicates 70 times faster than Delta as shown in a study by Hong Kong University. Now I now I know a lot of people that w- are under the impression or, or believe based on everything they've seen, and I'm not discounting it, that they think that, the, that you know, terrain versus germ theory, there's not a virus. And that by simply saying this, he must be a shill. I, I just caution against that. Not that you that you may be right and he could be wrong, but simply that he may believe that and still be fighting for the right things that we think he's fighting for. Just keep that in mind because these people are, st- I mean, they've spent their entire lives in a system that they're only just now realizing is completely broken and corrupt, right? Just looking at the chat, I would love to speak to Sam Bailey. I've, I love her work and Tom Cowan for that matter. But the point is that I just want to be careful that we don't just dismiss people as, you know, just it's sort of like the 9-11 argument, right? We can't keep pretending that, like, somebody may just disagree with you and not necessarily be some 9-11 shill just because they don't have a certain opinion. And I would argue that none of us know for sure. So if you're pretending you do, then you're the one that's probably, the, you know, it's, it's let's think about how obvious that we don't know these things. That's the main point. And I, my point in saying this is that he's referencing scientific studies and saying that these things are happening in the same way that I would. Right. That I'm, and I'm, when I do that, you know that I'm not saying I necessarily believe all of that. I, I would argue he probably does, but you know, keep, be objective, listen to what it has to say, take it with a grain of salt. Right. But I believe this is really important. Let me go back a little bit. A paper published in JAMA recently by Acorsi and colleagues through the Delta and Omicron outbreaks, making it clear one vaccine, two vaccines, three vaccines, absolutely no difference in the viral load 
in the nose. Huge point. So the vaccines are not touching the virus and they're allowing the virus to replicate at high speeds now. So the uh, Omicron variant uh, replicates 70 times faster than Delta, as shown in a study by Hong Kong University. A paper by uh, Khan and colleagues demonstrates that uh, the, um, the, the basically the immunity to Omicron closes the immunologic door on Delta, provides back immunity against Delta. And now our CDC nowcast system, which is quite good at telling us the proportions, indicates the United States very quickly is at 98% Omicron. Huh. Which seems very strange to me. Like, I'm not, to be honest, like, I'm not, I mean, you could, I'm not buying all of that. Like, I, I'm like, as always, I'm open to the possibility that this is something different and it is doing, but there's far too much, like like incorporating Danny Rancourt's information into this. There's no way to pretend that it's all what he just said either. You know what I mean? Like beyond beyond a doubt, shadow of a doubt, a huge portion of this is not true. I mean, that's very clear. You wouldn't need to conflate the flu if it was as serious as they told it was in the beginning, or you wouldn't need to conflate pneumonia if it was as serious, or you wouldn't need to have a false part PCR test if it was as serious. You see what I mean? So it's very clearly being lied about part of this is an illusion no matter what in my mind but that also but that doesn't mean definitively that there's not you know you see what i'm saying so at the end of the day i think it's pretty clear that we have to be just recognize that there is plenty of evidence to suggest that there is something going on but that could just as well be the vaccine adverse events or rather the vaccine effects or the, or the injection that they're giving them and causing these effects right and then or how about like i keep pointing out the spike protein as he's discussing, could very, very it is it, Dr. Warren, Luigi Warren, openly stated that he's the discoverer of this. That yes, that can shed. He argues it's not going to be enough to get anybody sick, but he, at the time when he said that, I argue he didn't wasn't aware of the research showing how much was actually shedding and how much was actually going through your bloodstream or how much it was actually producing. Because he was under the impression it was producing one. That's been shown to be false, right? So, and by the way, now you look at his feed and he's on the track with more with Malone and everybody else. So it's obvious. The spike protein, which the Salk Institute said is cytotoxic, it can cause disease by itself. So if we know it can shed, which we do, if we know it can, you know, based on what we're seeing in the research, if we know based on the research that it can get you sick and cause disease, which means it causes symptoms, therefore, itself can cause other people to get sick. So what happens when that happens? Right? Is that COVID? Well, no, it's not, but it's definitely causing illness based on the narrative and the data we've seen. So as that goes forward, we can argue that is the injection. You see what I mean? Like it just continues to go and there's all these possibilities. Or as Danny Rancourt points out, and I think this is a valid point, it's been completely made up by using other illnesses and causing other things to become more problematic because of their lockdowns, masks, and everything. And it's compounded. And then the injection gets added to that. And the injection adds to the problem and they keep pointing to COVID. I mean, that makes just as much sense to me. I just think we all have to admit that we don't know. But last point on this, they're already trying to hide this from us. Right now, they're already trying to hide what is going to happen. Now, this is not just myocarditis, guys. Look at what this says. And you can read the article right here. Hidden risk, the sun says. This is on December or January 26th. Urgent warning. As 300,000 Brits living with stealth disease. Weird, they just called this stealth Omicron, isn't it? Stealth disease that could kill within five years interesting time frame, isn't it? Sort of kind of exactly on track with what some of these other doctors have been saying we're going to see the fallout from. So now they can just be like, well, that's that weird stealth thing we told you you might be coming up with, right? That's a little self-serving, isn't it? 
the table is already being set to hide the waterfall of as I look, let's start this long vax, right? I love using their dumb things against them. So like, that's why I love using the pictures they use on their mainstream articles to say the opposite of what they're saying. Long vax, right? They're lying about long haul. It's already been shown in most cases to be, be completely psychosomatic in regard to anything they've talked about. It's been completely unverified. What we do see happening is an obvious long vax issue where people are having these long-term side effects that we have verified. Doctors have verified. To what degree you can debate, but let's start that hashtag long vax, whatever you want to do. The table is already being set to hide the waterfall of long vax issues, just simply vaccine issues that will develop over years that anyone honest can already see coming. By the way, past vaccine issues, you know, past administrations almost always end up with some sort of long-term thing for few people, but we're going to, I think we're going to see this one specifically and that many experts have already warned is inevitable that this would happen. Oh, and I wanted to include this just because it's a previous show that I did that thinks interestingly more relevant today. Scariance of concern. We reported this back on July 11th, 2021, titled, Are COVID Vaccines Creating Variants? Let's look at what the scientific research has to say. What a conspiracy theorist thing, right? Because, look, they deleted the entire channel. <laughs> How dumb is that, Right. And, and literally, literally the entire show was looking at peer-reviewed science and what before COVID they had to say about injections causing variants. That's all it was. Watch it for yourself. Apparently, that's fake news to the mainstream media and YouTube because it just challenges what they think, peer-reviewed and otherwise. <laughs> how pathetic, right? I mean, I just can't get past how stupid this is. Dr. David Martin is another person I'd love to talk to. But I want to include this because, look, they're going to keep trying to argue. Their, their last grasping thing is going to be that you're the only one causing the variants, and it's obviously not the case. And, and even they're starting to fall apart on this one, guys. This is very, very clear. So was the mask too, by the way, but that carried on for two years. So who knows? And we're still doing it, by the way. We're only getting to the mask. Only the cloth one's bad. We're, we're almost there, right? It's just, uh, it's so funny. But to finish off, guys, this is going to be a way that they drive you into this, right? They, my point here, really, that I feel as strong is they know, in my opinion, that this data showing you that you're after three months, that you're going to get way worse, even with Moderna. 40% increased risk. I think they know they got to get ahead of this. It's just a theory. You know, I, I, I don't know. I can't, this isn't provable, but based on the data and based on what I think is trying to happen, I think they're right now going above and beyond to try to get, co I mean, look, how many times these people said no? The world around, everybody's had a chance to get this. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that. There's plenty of countries and small off places that are probably like, thank God we didn't get it. But <laughs> the point is most places in Western countries have already had a chance to refuse this a thousand times over. So. Now, all of a sudden, they're coming back up with more lotteries. Like, they're clearly trying to push this more. Austria now creates a COVID lottery with 500-pound prizes to woo vaccine hesitants. Was it pound in Austria? I'm not sure. Maybe, I think that's the pound symbol, isn't it? Either way, money. Money to coerce the hesitant. I know, you're not hesitant when you've been offered 45 times and said, no way, 45 times. You're aware, right? But here's another one that's going to freak you out a little bit with her disgusting porno couch in this weird room with money spelled out, get vaxxed. Weird. Lori Lightfoot alone is this, you know, I think somebody made this really great meme about how the U.S. is turning slowly into Gotham City with their weird, <laughs> these people are weird looking. Anyway, the message is clear. Get vaccinated from the comfort of your home and your stack could be yours. Seriously? And as Viva Frey argues, and I completely agree, this is absolutely psychotic unhinged, immoral, 
And the fact that you don't realize that makes it even more psychotic, unhinged, and immoral. This is crazy. Now, I mean, the, the, the incentive argument in the very beginning maybe could have been floated. And even then I was like, that's weird. Here's Krispy Kremes and here's, you know, whatever to do this. I'm like, that's strange. And we all felt that was weird. But now after a year and a half and we've all been offered this, we've all said no. And now you're arresting people, you're forcing people, you're coercing people, you're firing people. And then you just go, here's some money, get vaxxed. Like pretending like none of that's happening. Like, oh, okay, why not? It's just, she's out of her mind. And so are the rest of them. They, they are so disconnected from the, from what we actually think and what we actually feel. They're in their ivory towers pretending like they know what's going on. And by the way, don't forget that my opinion at the very least is these people, they have no clue what's going on. They are not in the know. They know some stuff more than most, but let's not pretend like the Nancy Pelosi's of the world or anybody above them or anywhere else in government or they, they are puppets. So too are the presidents of this country, guys. We need to see that by now. I said porno couch because it looks disgusting. It's just this weird, gross, discolored couch. Like, why wouldn't you use a bed? I don't know. You're going to put this out in the world and you're going to use this disgusting, tainted looking couch? This is strange to me. But don't forget what we just talked about. Here is, oh, I, I mean, I, I'll just include it. I can play it. The bottom line is, guys, this is a Veritas report that's making it clear that people are being incentivized to go in to get these $100 gift cards and they're being allowed to get vaccinated like six or seven times to get more money. That's unbelievable. Not only is that wildly unscientific and very dangerous, it's being allowed by the people that have been, the very people administering this stuff because they've been convinced it's safe and effective. That's wild. And these will be abused as well. They're going to keep changing names and going different places, going to other places. Give me the money. You are coercing impoverished people into getting something they don't need by bribing them with money. That's just despicable to me. And then don't forget that even the Atlantic that we just discussed the other day, in the opening part of their article from December 29th, they're basically framing this as a good thing. Walter Baker, has since fall, the fall of 2020, had five doses of COVID, and now he's thinking about a sixth. I mean, why wouldn't you go, this guy's out of his mind. That's totally dangerous. We don't know if it's safe. None of that's mentioned. This is lunacy to me. And in Australia, they're changing the definition officially to three shots because that was fake news like three seconds ago. Remember? It supports that. Getting themselves very confused and almost adopting some of this anti-vax language. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Vaccines work. That's why, yes, sadly, we have some people who've passed away. And again, we, we send our deepest sympathies to their families. Uh, but it would be thousands and thousands more, <laughs> particularly given the wildly infectious nature of this omicron variant yeah infectious but not more dangerous can we be clear that that's verified now based on what their information is showing and yet here this is this complete manipulator is still pretending that if we didn't do what we're doing that's increasing people's issues verifiably that more people would die in fact that's verifiably false not even because the injection is increasing people's risk but because omicron is not more dangerous it was immediately a drop but they'll just keep towing the line these people are villains, guys. I can't get past how willfully dishonest this is. If we hadn't got to 93% and if we weren't out there every day pushing boosters, or really what should be referred to as third doses, the term booster kind of gives people the impression that this is an optional extra. It's not. All the, all the evidence supports that. I think it's only a matter of time before the decision comes down 
uh, to uh, formalize that. Yeah, well, you just did, man. You just literally said that is required. Just because you're not writing down that that's the fully vaccinated term, like we become so fixated on these terms. If all they can do is just manipulate the definition around the term, the terms are meaningless. You already said it's required. Why are we playing this game? You, they, they are treating you like you're three years old. This will be their downfall. I have always argue that violence is the wrong action, guys. In no way should a violent action be taken in my mind. Violent begets violence begets violence. But we need to stand up. They need to recognize that we are not moving and we all see the same thing. They can't keep pretending like we're a fringe minority when the majority stands up. That's what's happening with these protests, with these trucker protests. Let's join this stuff, but be vigilant and aware of how they can be used against us. Now, finally, as we're watching this completely explode in their face and as we're watching this be not even fleshed out, like for crying out loud, at the very least, half the country's politicians disagree that mRNA platforms are the next step. And yet we're already stepping into the next one. Human trials of Moderna's experimental HIV vaccine has officially begun experimental, right? But this one's totally not, you fake news liars. It's the same damn thing, guys. We're talking about the mRNA platform. Not the same injection, mind you, but the same premise. It's experimental because this whole thing is still being experimented on. You, your body is the battlefield now. And the company's tremendously excited. Why are we allowing them to step into this field if we've already seen that it's very clearly failed every single time before COVID? And then with COVID, it got jammed through and we're watching it fail in your body right now. But let's just keep going. Let's keep going until we don't realize that this became normal four years ago. That's where we're trying to be pushed to right now. Right here, Moderna's HIV vaccine has officially begun. And HIV of all things, right? Isn't that interesting? Why suddenly? I thought we've they failed over and over and over. Yeah, just like with COVID. Why is it going to work now? It's almost like there's something else planned here, guys. I, either way, however you want to look at this, there's no reason that we should allow them to continue to make injections using a new style of platform, a new style of injection, not vaccine technology, you know, just going to change the definition while we're watching this hurt people in real time. Now, we're not talking just about what's in the injection. We're talking about also what's in the, the mRNA, what's in the nanoparticles they use to deliver it. I mean, these things are all showing to be dangerous. It's just time that we make it clear that we as a majority are not okay with this. And I think the world is showing that that's the case. It's time for us to hold on to that, acknowledge that we have that, and own it. Stand up with it. I mean, that's, as I've said many times, guys, if we all stand up at the same time, it's not much. It doesn't mean that we're not going to see some sort of violent action taken. I still argue they're a cornered animal. But right now, we have to take that step to see where we go next. Show the world that they don't represent us anymore. That's where we all need to get to. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I do know that we need to start putting our feet down. Because this won't stop until we stop it. As I was just talking about today, we can all recognize that we all see this. We can all go, well, it's so obvious. Don't we all see it? The majority sees it. But if we stop there, they don't care about that. They're going to keep going. They'll keep yelling that we're not the majority and pretending that everybody's on their side. And until we stand up and go, no, 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 no. We say that and then we're, no, no, we're in your way now. You can't do that. They'll keep pretending they have their side. It's time to put your feet down. And that's what they're doing with the truckers. And that's what they're saying. Well, we don't, can't do that anymore. Can't support them. Can't donate. Even though they're not allowed to do that. They're afraid of you. And they always have been. And this is why they're doing what they're doing. Final nail in a coffin or a technocratic gulag of panopticon control 
is being put in right now. Or maybe as Caitlin Johnstone put it, it's been built for 10 years now and they're just tightening those screws and our last chance to maybe break out. Either way, I do feel we're making a difference. I don't mean to end on, a, on a, such a negative note. I really do believe that we are changing everything and you guys are changing everything. I see it every single day. I'm just worried that we're going to lose sight of the end goal. Forest from the trees, you know, tunnel vision kind of a thing and lose sight on what we need to hold onto in a larger picture. So stick with us, guys. We'll keep fighting for you and for everybody else, including those that think we're crazy because we're fighting for them too. I love you all. I'm going to end with that clip, by the way. It's, it's about eight minutes, so please stay tuned to watch it all. It's really powerful. Stay tuned, guys. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Je vais maintenant laisser la parole au professeur Christian Perron, qui a gentiment accepté de participer à ce débat public. Merci, Monsieur Giorgio. Monsieur, vous avez la parole. Merci beaucoup. Donc, Madame la Présidente, Madame la Ministre, euh, Mesdames et Messieurs les députés, je suis très honoré de venir aujourd'hui. Euh, tout d'abord, je voudrais juste rappeler mon, mon expérience professionnelle euh, en présidant notamment la Commission des maladies transmissibles du Haut Conseil de la Santé publique. Euh, J'ai conseillé différents gouvernements français pendant 15 ans sur la gestion des crises sanitaires et des épidémies. J'ai été président pendant des années du comité technique des vaccinations, donc j'ai présidé euh, à la politique vaccinale française. Donc je ne suis pas du tout un anti-vax, comme certains médias l'ont dit. Je suis un, un fond, à, à fond convaincu de l'intérêt de la vaccination. Et j'ai même été vice-président à l'OMS pendant des années de, du groupe d'experts pour les vaccins pour toute la région euro de l'OMS, qui est beaucoup plus large que l'Union européenne, parce que la zone euro de l'OMS, ça, ça inclut la Russie, toutes les républiques... Euh, d'Asie centrale, la Turquie, Israël, c'est la, la grande Europe de l'OMS. Donc voilà, c'est quand même mon expérience à la fois des épidémies et de la vaccination. Moi, j'aurais deux messages principaux à vous dire dans cette crise. Euh, c'est qu'on a bafoué la science et on a bafoué le droit. Euh, alors on a bafoué la science parce que toutes les décisions de nos politiques, basées sur des experts qui, malheureusement, on le sait maintenant, c'est public, ont des conflits d'intérêts majeurs avec l'industrie pharmaceutique. Quand ils prennent des décisions en catimini, ils ne fournissent zéro référence scientifique. Moi-même, je connaissais très bien Jean-François Delfrécy, le président du conseil scientifique à l'Élysée, parce que moi, je l'ai connu quand il était interne en 1978. Et je l'ai appelé il y a quelques semaines, je lui ai dit « Écoute, Jean-François, on n'est pas d'accord, mais j'aimerais qu'il y ait un débat contradictoire ». Parce que tu sors plein d'avis comme ça, euh, on ne connaît pas tes sources. Et là, il a refusé le débat. Et c'est pour ça que je suis très à l'aise, parce que, vous savez, ça fait euh, deux ans que je me bats dans les médias français. J'ai écrit deux livres. Ils n'ont jamais été contestés sur le plan scientifique. Dans, dans mes livres, il y a des dizaines de pages de preuves. Tout ce que je dis est sourcé. Je n'ai jamais changé d'avis depuis deux ans et personne ne m'a mis en défaut sur une seule de mes paroles. Même si les médias, tous les jours disent que je suis complotiste parce que c'est le seul mot qu'ils ont, parce qu'ils ne trouvent pas d'argument. Alors, donc, le manque de, de, de preuves scientifiques. Ensuite, quand il y a eu des, des soi-disant preuves scientifiques, on a vu les fraudes s'accumuler. Des publications dans les plus grands journaux du monde qui étaient frauduleuses. Vous vous souvenez tous du Lancet Gate, avec le, quand on a voulu discréditer la chloroquine, ben des lobbies ont payé une équipe et un journal pour sortir une étude frauduleuse qui a tout bloqué dans le monde entier. Plus récemment, vous l'avez vu dans le British Medical Journal, il y a eu le Pfizer Gate 
qui a montré qu'une partie des études de Pfizer pour faire euh, obtenir l'autorisation de leur, leur euh, soi-disant vaccin était frauduleuse. En France, a, les médias n'en ont jamais parlé, à part un petit encart dans le Figaro. Ça, c'est quand même assez scandaleux, alors que quand le Lancet est sorti, tous les médias en parlaient. Les conflits d'intérêts sont majeurs, que ce soit avec les experts, que ce soit aussi euh, euh, avec les médias. Et ça, c'est public, ce n'est pas, pas des fake news, ce n'est pas moi qui le dis. Euh, le gouvernement français, en plus des dizaines de millions d'euros qu'il donne chaque année aux médias principaux, depuis deux ans, a donné 3 milliards d'euros aux médias. 3 milliards d'euros. Alors, soi-disant, le, les caisses de la France sont vides. On donne 3 milliards d'euros aux médias. Ça ferait beaucoup d'hôpitaux qu'on pourrait construire. Euh, ensuite, ces produits qu'on appelle vaccins. J'étais considéré pendant des années comme un, un spécialiste des vaccins en France, en Europe, dans le monde. Et le, je crois que le plus grand scandale de cette épidémie, c'est de nous avoir fait croire que c'était des vaccins. Ce ne sont pas du tout des vaccins. D'ailleurs, la preuve, maintenant, on sait qu'ils ne marchent pas, qu'ils n'empêchent pas d'être contaminés, qu'ils n'empêchent pas de faire des formes graves. Maintenant, les pays qui ont le plus vacciné, on voit que euh, plus de 90% des gens en réanimation sont des doubles, triples vaccinés, que ça n'empêche pas de, de transmettre. Donc, j'ai jamais vu. C'est la preuve formelle que ce ne sont pas des vaccins. Donc, il faut, faut arrêter euh, ce délire de vouloir vacciner pour une maladie qui ne tue presque plus. Où sont les morts Alors, il y a beaucoup de chiffres qui ont été gonflés. Pardon. Beaucoup de chiffres ont été gonflés parce qu'avec ces PCR qui, qui amplifient au-delà de ce qui est autorisé scientifiquement d'habitude, euh, on a gonflé les, les chiffres d'épidémie, on a gonflé les chiffres de morts. Parce que les gens qui arrivaient à l'hôpital pour autre chose, ben, s'ils avaient un test positif, on disait qu'ils étaient morts du Covid, alors qu'ils étaient morts de tout à fait autre chose. Ensuite, ce qui m'a énormément choqué, moi en tant que spécialiste des vaccins, c'est qu'un vaccin normal, il faut 10 ans pour qu'il soit autorisé. En plus, quand je vois le scandale des femmes enceintes, d'habitude, il faut 10 ans après l'autorisation définitive de commercialisation, pour qu'il soit autorisé chez une femme enceinte en ayant suffisamment de recul. Là, en quelques mois, euh, c'était autorisé. Euh, ce qui me choque, c'est l'absence d'études scientifiques sur les décisions. Quand le gouvernement dit qu'il faut trois doses, bientôt quatre doses, cinq doses, six doses, sept doses, on ne sait pas, il y a zéro donnée scientifique pour appuyer ces décisions. Ce qui me choque beaucoup, c'est que l'EMA, l'Agence européenne des médicaments, a avoué, c'était l'été dernier, qu'il euh, euh, ne connaissait pas la composition totale de ces vaccins. Et pourtant, il l'autorise. Comment Il faudra venir à la fin. Voilà, encore maximal une minute. Oui. Voilà, donc, ce qu'on qu sait maintenant officiellement d'après les bases de données, c'est que le vaccin fait 36 000 morts en Europe, 25 000 aux États-Unis, y compris et des centaines de sportifs. Il y a une augmentation de, des oncologues aux États-Unis a montré qu'il y avait une augmentation des, des morts par cancer après la vaccination. Et je crois que le plus bel exemple, c'est que les, les pays qui n'ont pas vacciné ou qui ont arrêté la vaccination sont les pays où l'épidémie est terminée. Ça, c'est très fort. On peut voir l'exemple de l'Inde. Et le dernier mot, c'est sur le droit. Je dirais que tout est illégal, puisque, comme ça a été dit tout à l'heure, une autorisation de mise sur le marché conditionnelle euh, ne, ne peut être obtenue que si on a démontré qu'il n'y avait pas de traitement efficace. Alors, il y a des centaines 
de publications scientifiques, l'exemple de l'Inde, d'autres pays qui montrent qu'il y a des traitements efficaces. Et surtout, le plus important, c'est qu'on est toujours en phase 3 expérimentale et que dans les traités internationaux, y compris dans le code de Nuremberg, c'est totalement interdit de faire une obligation sur un produit expérimental. Donc tout, tout État, tout, tout parlementaire qui, qui vote pour une obligation sur un produit expérimental, il peut être attaqué à titre personnel au pénal à un tribunal international pour, euh, pour une faute extrêmement grave, mais en mettant en danger euh, la vie des, des êtres humains. Et puisqu'on parle des enfants, je termine là-dessus. Il euh, y a des enfants qui meurent du vaccin. Et maintenant, on sait que les, les, ceux qui meurent du vaccin sont plus nombreux que ceux qui meurent du Covid, car il y a quasiment zéro mort du Covid. Dans mon entourage personnel, je connais une jeune fille de 17 ans, une jeune fille de 20 ans qui sont mortes huit jours après le vaccin d'un infarctus du myocarde. Moi, je n'ai jamais vu de ma carrière un infarctus du myocarde à l'âge de 20 ans et une autre d'une embolie pulmonaire. Donc voilà, je vous demande un moratoire sur ces produits qui ne sont, qui ne sont pas des vaccins, qui n'ont pas été évalués de façon correcte, dont on aura les évaluations définitives dans plusieurs années. Voilà, je vous remercie.